Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is episode 279. It blows my mind. Today's episode is massive. Uh, I got really two very, very awesome guests. Guys, I love Brett Coleman and then Tom Grassi after him. They challenged my predictions. It was really fun to hear them push back on some of the stuff I've said recently. Uh, we talk about all kinds of NFL stuff. First of all, like, why is Brett Coleman a Houston Texans fan? He's from L.A., like the, the Southern California. How the heck is he a fan of a team in Houston? Uh, how's Von Miller's injury going to impact the Denver Broncos? Can Naheem Hines be the scat back that Phillip Rivers needs with the Indianapolis Colts? What's up with Jordan Love? Uh, we talk about Josh Rosen being cut by Miami, then signed by the Buccaneers. And then buried way at the very end of the show. I put it there intentionally. That way, if you want to skip it, you can. I know not everybody's into F1. Not everybody likes the... I, I guess part of it, too, is that I have a topic about the Texans and Chiefs NFL opener. In case you're listening to this episode after that game has already happened, hey, at the end of the episode, we talk about what I think is going to happen. You might be too late. That's fine. I do have two Formula One topics at the end, talking about the race and then talking about some little news stuff. I intentionally put that stuff at the end of the show. That way, if you don't want it, it's very, very easy to skip. I want to start today's episode with a conversation with my friend, Brett Coleman. I love the dude. Uh, he does a film room on YouTube. He also does the bootleg football podcast on podcast services. He's a great guy. And I think Brett Coleman may be the best football mind that isn't working for an NFL team. Honestly, I consider myself lucky to have him on. He really should be on ESPN and Fox Sports and everywhere. It's kind of crazy. He takes time for me. Uh, I consider him a friend. He's like a football index. I mean, he just really knows the game inside and out. And in my opinion, if you're going to talk about the NFL then you have somewhat of a duty to make sure you talk to Brett Coleman because the dude really knows what he's talking about. Uh, I will say we had some technical difficulties. If you're watching on YouTube, his video feed got screwed up, and so uh, all we have is audio of Brett Coleman. Now, if you're listening to the conversation, that's what matters. It's a great conversation. What he's saying is really important, so that's what matters in this conversation. And uh, that's all I have. Enjoy my conversation with Brett. Take it away. Joining me now is my favorite football nerd, Brett Coleman, how are you? I'm wonderful. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. There's an apocalypse outside. Uh, but down it's... here, too, you can tell by the oranginess in my room. <laughs> <laughs> well, you didn't have the 60-mile-an-hour winds like beating against where you live. And the mic can't hear it, but it's like, that's weird. It's, not, <laughs> it's very unsettling to have the orange sun and the wind and like everything strewn across a yard. Like, it looks like Mad Max or something. You're like, man, I don't, I don't like this at all. <laughs> um, let's jump in. I want to start talking. For, actually, first of all, did you rest? Because I know we're about to hit a crazy... I don't people realize for us football people like tomorrow because we're recording on Wednesday we'll put this out probably Thursday morning but tomorrow begins this long marathon of football did you get any rest before the season started yeah I just took a five-day trip up to the mm. central coast uh, which if you've ever been to the central California coast it's kind of similar to the Oregon coast just beautiful yeah. cliffs and rockiness and uh, you know, every sunrise and sunset, it's beautiful. There's wineries all over the place. So I, I kind of mm -hmm. unplugged and chilled and, and kind of had a good four or five days off. And uh, I'm so glad. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad to hear that. I worry for you because you work. People have no idea how much you do. And by the way, if you're watching the camera, he's off to my right. People have no idea how much you do. It's, it's like it blows my mind constantly. I'm like, oh, wow. 
I thought I worked hard. I'm like, oh, Brett, yeah. <laughs> Not going to lie, I kind of want to transition to being more podcast than YouTube because Lord knows you can't do YouTube forever. It's very tough on the body, believe it or not. Well, video is just the hard part. Like, yes. If people have no idea. How, editing video is, oh. It's, I, it's I don't 60 you. hours you know, a week, I would yeah. say, for, yeah. for one episode. <laughs> and the Cardinals one, the Cardinals one, which, you know, you and I have talked a lot. It was like 150 hours over the course of a month. Yeah. Well, dude, how long did it take you just to edit that scene with the book where it moved over? Like, I shit you not, that was a whole day. How many times were you like, why not just do it differently? Like, what? How many times were you like compelled? Did you get to a point where of no return where you're like, I got to just do it? I, you know, it's the sunk cost fallacy. It's like once you spend six <laughs> hours on it, it's like, well, I might as well spend 12 yeah. <laughs> or else I wasted my day. hundred <laughs> percent. I've done that so many times where I'm like, well, I'm halfway through. I got to just at this point. Yeah. It's like the person who swims across the ocean halfway and they're like, well, let's turn around because it's too far. Yeah, it's, it's like, like Daryl Bell well running the ball. It's like, well, we've done it 15 times already, and we gained 40 <laughs> yards. We might as well do it another 15 times, see if it works uh, out. Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm from the Northwest, so the, the Marshawn Lynch thing is going to never die, I think, here. <laughs> it just always is. I'm sure your other – what's RJ, his name? Is that the – Oh, EJ, your yeah, podcast, podcast host? EJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a Seattle Is he a Seahawks guy. fan? Uh, he's a Bears fan, but you know, if you live in Seattle, yeah. even if you're a fan of another team, you're obligated to love the Seahawks <laughs> as your second team. Yeah. So he, makes sense. he does love this, love his Hawks too. I want to dive in. I want to talk about uh, Derek Carr. I the move that really I'm curious if we'll find out why it happened, the Marcus Mariota move. Because that was a two year deal, seventeen point six million dollars. I'm like, that's a lot for a backup. Something's going on there. And we know that John Gruden they there's kind of a joke on the internet. He struggles with monogamy with quarterbacks. <laughs> yeah. He's so like, like everywhere he's been, he's kind of bounced around. Derek Carr might be his longest tenured quarterback, if I'm not wrong. I, I might be wrong about that, but it's something close to that at least. Does he like? Does John Gruden like Derek Carr? I think John Gruden. He he always compares every single quarterback he's ever worked with to the one that got away, his first love that he fell madly in love with. And he compares every single quarterback to that guy, and that's Brett Favre. He's just mm. like John Madden. Like, football coaches love Brett Favre because he did stuff that very few people that have ever played the game have been able to do before or yeah. since. Patrick Mahomes is probably the closest thing we've seen to Brett Favre since Brett Favre, and that was, yeah. what, a 20-year gap? You know, well, so. like imagine Andy Reid having to try to coach another quarterback after Patrick Mahomes. Nothing would feel nothing the same would ever, ever feel again. the same. So I, I mm. think all these old ball coaches that have been around since the 80s and 90s that either coached Brett Favre or coached against Brett Favre. Uh, everybody gets compared to what he was able to do, both good and bad. Mm. And like you, you with these crazy prospects that Gruden, you know, when he was doing the QB camps like Andrew Luck, he fell madly in love with Andrew Luck. And so I think because he he knows greatness when he sees it, he's always yeah. uh, he's always comparing. It's hard not to chase more. It's a, yeah, it, it's a drug yeah. to him. And Derek Carr is mm. fine, but nobody yeah. would ever confuse him for Andrew Luck. Nobody would ever confuse him no. for Brett Favre. So of course John's always going to compare him against these guys that he's worked with or known or coached against that he absolutely loved. Like it's unfair mm. to Derek, but that's just how John operates. Yeah, I look at Derek, I watch this film, I'm like, I see a franchise quarterback. He's got problems, he's learning, and I think as a team, too, the Raiders made a lot of mistakes. I'm like, that. Like you can't have random, like, they had a toss play where they throw a toss to nobody, and you're like, that can't happen in the NFL, no. I'm sorry, but yeah. little things like that, just so many mistakes. I think 
Derek Carr, though, despite little flaws, am I wrong? You said he sounds like a good guy. I think he's a franchise quarterback. Am I wrong on that? I think he's, you know, everybody always talked about the Dalton line of like, mm. what, where's the minimum that you can get away with having? Like, yeah. he's there. And it's not a bad thing. The Dalton line was not yeah. a bad thing. Um, yeah. It, it's just, he's he's kind of the bar for what you hope to get. Like, where you don't feel an immediate need to replace them, but if you found somebody better, you wouldn't hesitate. You know, Alex yeah. Smith was there. Obviously, Andy was there when, you know, Cincinnati was in position to get Joe Burrow, where it's like you're not desperate to replace him, but if somebody comes along or you have an opportunity to with somebody who you think is going to be way better, then you will not hesitate to pull the trigger. I would say Joe Flacco mm. was there too. You know, they got Lamar. Mm. They realized yeah. what they had. They're like, all right, Joe, four games and you're out. You know, it's well. Look at what the Raiders have done with Mike Glennon. They they thought maybe he's had mm-hmm. something. They're bringing Mariota. They're always kind of throwing darts at the wall, seeing if they can get a thing better than Derek Carr. Yeah, because you. I mean, if you have a quarterback like Derek Carr, where you're not in trouble if he's starting, but you're always looking to upgrade, you might as well throw some darts at the dartboard and just see mm-hmm. what you can get. Because again, Marcus Mariota yeah. was a top two overall pick. He had yeah. talent, not great arm talent, but in terms of mobility and everything like that, he's a good kid. He's coachable. I think he he definitely has his flaws in terms of being able to handle pressure. Um, I would say he struggles against uh, coverage rotations. Like there's stuff that he's not mm. good at, and at this yeah. point, I don't know if he'll ever be good at. But you at least can recognize the talent and take a chance on it when your quarterback is an average starter quarterback. So I get why they did it, um, but at the same time, do I expect Marcus Mariota to beat out Derek Carr ever? Probably not. But, you know, I, I get why they did it. Yeah. What do you make of the Lynn Bowden trade? That was just bizarre to me. I've never seen a move where you draft a guy in the third round and then trade him almost immediately in training camp. I think they th- thought he was going to be a running back, mm. uh, which he had not played since high school. And yeah. I think they thought that he could immediately come in and be... <laughs> I, a lot of people were saying, oh, he's going to be their Alvin Kamara. Like, I didn't think it would be that... But I think yeah. that they looked at him as like, okay, he'll be our Chris Thompson. He'll be our James yeah. White, where it's like he's a receiving back who can also, I, you know, if we want to run a draw with him, if we want to, you know, give him four or five carries, like he can handle it. I think they yeah. got him into camp and realized like, oh, no, that dude's a receiver. We've already got a million of those. Mm. We just drafted yeah. a bunch of them. Our bad, you know, whoops. Let's, yeah. let's see if we can get Raekwon McMillan out of him, which is essentially their trade was – Lynn Bowden and a pick for Raekwon McMillan when you look at it. Mm. So I, yeah. I think I commend them for taking a risk and then realizing quickly, like, okay, this is not what we thought it was going to be. And again, this goes back to COVID. They weren't able to bring him in to work him out and see what he was going to be like. Mm. So they were kind of flying blind on a very... He was he was much more projection than a known quantity. So they were flying blind yeah. on him. They gambled on the talent. They realized it wasn't going to work for the role they wanted it to work in. Not that he can't be successful. It's just they already have Hunter Renfro. They don't need a slot receiver. And not to mention Henry Ruggs is also taking snaps in the slot. So they don't. He's yeah. not going to start for them ever. So they're like let's get let's get a linebacker out of it. So I commend them for realizing that quickly and kind of course correcting as soon as they could rather than wasting two or three years of their time and of Lynn Bowden's time. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. I actually really, when you look at it that way, it's a good way to, a good perspective to have on it. Do you think he becomes a Taysom Hill guy? Does he, I know that was kind of, there was some hype, like maybe he can be kind of a gadget guy. We have really no, I have really no idea what he could become. 
What do you think? I think, it t- you know, it's funny because on the Bootleg Football Podcast, we were kind of talking about that, of like every coach is trying to find their Taysom Hill. Yeah. And we kind of thought he was going to be that. You know, the, the yeah. third quarterback that comes in for Wildcat that can also throw a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, at Kentucky, he threw touchdown passes. He yeah, ran for touchdowns. He returned, like, oh. You know, he did a little bit of everything. So we kind of thought, yeah. like, okay, like that's what they're trying to do here. And then it came out like, oh, no, they want him to be a running back. And we're kind of like, okay, I mean – I mean, he's talented, so I guess that can work. And I would imagine that Miami, you know, their coaching staff, I think, is very creative there. Uh, Mm. And Flores, I think, comes from the Belichick line of thinking of let's just figure out what he's good at and we'll and we'll do the position tag later. Yeah. And so he's a good enough athlete. We can work with him. So I think he is Mm. going to be used more like. Taysom Hill in Miami where it's like hey we might throw a pass with him a game he'll return he'll get a couple carries we might put him out in the slot well you know depending on I don't even know what position he's going to be tagged at but like maybe yeah we can force a defense into base personnel if he's technically on the field with Brita or something we can get him into like you know if if their defensive staff looks at numbers and says oh they're in you know 21 personnel let's get our base out there and then all of a sudden you got him matched up on some 240 pound linebacker in the slot like maybe they're going to kind of use him like that um yeah I'd be curious to see what they do again we don't have any preseason so (laughs) lord knows what the hell they're planning on but uh I think probably by the end of September we'll we'll get a decent idea of what they're going to do with him well, it sounds like he's more valuable to Miami though, because they can they have they don't they can get him on the field. Yes. Whereas with Oakland, he just wasn't going to be on the field. There was no use to. He them. was never going to be on the field. Brian Edwards is a stud. Mm. Henry Ruggs is a stud. Hunter Renfro, he's not like elite, but I think he's a reliable slot receiver. Um, yeah. You know, Waller's obviously there. Jacobs is going to get a billion touches a game. There, there was no path for him to carve out a significant role, other than being a specific package player, which I mm. just don't really think is their style yeah how about Jared Goff I've been looking at film with Jared Goff I kind of settled on he's good enough he's fine he's maybe similar to the Andy Dalton line you mentioned where I don't have any problem with Derek or with what am I saying with uh Jared Goff I think he makes some mistakes but he's growing I get why they like him he does enough good things for me to support him is that kind of how you feel about Jared Goff he's fine you know yeah. I, I the thing that I really like about Jared Goff uh, is the accuracy and the dude throws such a pretty deep ball. He does. I mean, it is gorgeous. Like him and Kyler, uh, like mm. when when the Rams and Cardinals play, like you'll see ten fades alone in that game between both of them, where you're just like, Good God, that is a that's a good ball. It's so yeah. easily catchable. He's accurate. Um, I would say. McVeigh does a little bit more between the ears than a lot of other coaches do. Yep, absolutely. But, but that's also kind of you know Sean's style. Like I, I, I've seen a couple Rams game in person now at the Coliseum. Mm. One of which I was sitting seven rows back from the Rams bench, and I was literally watching Sean the entire time. I mean, he was just chattering, 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 and then you hit 15 seconds on the clock, and the play sheet goes down. Like he's he's telling him rotations, he's telling him front, like he's telling him everything. He's half playing quarterback. Yeah, which is fine. It works for them. Yeah, but I also I I do think that McVeigh helps Jared more than Jared helps McVeigh. If that makes sense. Absolutely. I wonder if that's if he had a different quarterback, would he still, would he be considered a control freak or would the quarterback? How would that? I think he would do that regardless of of yeah. who his quarterback. I think that's just Sean's coaching style. Because he's mm. such a brain, like he's brilliant, yeah. 
he's always mm-hmm. going to be feeding information. I love the way I've been watching hard. I watched a little bit of Hard Knocks last night. I love the way Sean McVay interacts with his players. He's such a player's coach. Like you, you as a player, like I, I'd want to be around him. I'd want to play for him. It seems like a good guy. Is that your kind of impression of him? Oh, he's great. He's he's one of my favorite coaches in the league. And like you know, if I was six six and ran four four, like he's somebody I'd love to play with. But alas, <laughs> yeah. you know, I I was not blessed with those <laughs> talents. But he's one of the coaches that I would I would take less money to play for Sean McVay. I yeah. I believe that strongly in him. Mm. Now Jalen Ramsey awesome. just got paid twenty million, so clearly he disagrees with me. But you know, he's happy, dude. You seen his compound in L.A.? Oh, Jalen Ramsey looks like great. He's, he's doing good fine. for him. He's doing just <laughs> fine. Um, let's talk about Jimmy Garoppolo. I, as I look at the NFC West, you have Russell Wilson. You have I think Jared Goff, solid. I think uh, Kyler Murray. I, I have a big man crush on Kyler Murray. I think he's incredible. Oh, he's amazing. Um, and I look at Jimmy Garoppolo and I go, I think Jimmy G. And this is gonna make 49ers fans very, very angry. I think he's the worst quarterback in that division. And that's nothing shameful because that's a good division of quarterbacks. But mm. is that, would you agree with that? Am I, am I crazy there? Russell's, is, is Russell's between better. Goff or, it's Goff or Jimmy G for me. Yeah, which is to say, like, the worst quarterback in the division is above average. Yeah, which, for sure. You know, it's not saying he's worse. No, you know, below maybe average. it's inflammatory to say he's the worst, but I think there's all three other better quarterbacks. Yes, like, because Russell is top two. Behind yep. only Pat, in my opinion. Yep. Kyler is already top 10. Uh, yep. And then it's kind of a debate, okay, in, in between 10 and 16, or which is just a collection of guys that are all kind of in the same category. It's like, yeah. okay, is he closer to the 10 or is he closer to the 16? I would say that he and Goff are better than each other at different things. I think Jimmy's better between mm. the years. I think he's, yeah. when you watch him operate Kyle's offense, which is a little bit more hands-off, uh, mm-hmm. even though the systems are similar, they kind of emphasize different things and the coaching styles are different. Uh, I think Kyle's a lot more hands-off when his quarterbacks are at the line of scrimmage. Jimmy has more control, or at least he has more freedom. And I I would say Jimmy's really, really good between the years, and he's very good at operating that system. As a mm. thrower, Goff is more talented. Yeah. So I guess it depends on what you're prioritizing. I would say both quarterbacks are perfect for the coaches that they are under. Mm, I love that. This is maybe has no meaning and may not matter at all, but I think it's worth saying is that I, I hear Jared Goff interact with his teammates and I go, that's kind of weird. I, I, he's just, it seems like a guy I wouldn't want to hang out with and not get a beer with. Where Jimmy G, I'm like, this dude, the way he barks, the way he talks, the way he interacts, I think Jimmy G is a guy I'd rather play with. Is that crazy to me? Is it crazy to you? Jimmy picked up a lot from Brady in terms of yeah. how he leads, mm-hmm. um, in terms of being fiery when he needs to. Uh, being personable when he needs to, encouraging and tough when he needs to be. Like he's, he conducts himself weirdly a lot like Tom. You know, Tom. I think uh, as he got older, he was able, able to kind of pull off that anger, fire a little bit more. And you know, when he, yeah, exactly. When, you know, he and he and Edelman would kind of rev each other up and just piss each other off the whole time. But then you watch Tom with Gronk, and it's kind of more lighthearted and everything like that. So Brady was able to kind of switch between these different personalities and give individual guys on his offense exactly the kind of leader that they needed. Mm, Jules, yeah. like you need to yell at Jules because Jules, mm. he, he needs to be coached hard and Tom would give yeah. that to him and it motivates him and it motivates him. Whereas Gronk, like, you know, they were kind of more laid back together. Uh, so, and I, I think Jimmy, you look at him with Kittle and Kittle's a maniac and, you know, Jimmy gets super revved up with Kittle 
and then you look at them with like Goodwin and they're super chill. They're like, you know, it's, yeah, it's a different kind of vibe depending on who he's talking to. And I think he picked that up from Brady and he's excellent at it. Brady always talks about, you have to treat certain guys the way they want to be treated. Like you have to cater your interactions to what they want and their style. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, you look at Edelman go like up to Brady on the bench and say, you're old. Like, you know, and yeah. that's how they, that's how they talk to each other. Have you ever seen a Patriots game live? No, I really wanted to go this season until the oh, world ended. You poor <laughs> dude. I, so I saw, I went and watched, because uh, I knew, I figured it was Brady's last year in New England. And I was like, look, I'm going to scrounge, this back before I made anything like survivable. I was like, I'm going to scrounge together all my savings and go with my dad to watch the Bengals and Patriots in Cincinnati. Mm. And I got to see it. I got to watch them win. I, I'm not a Patriots fan, but I love Tom Brady. He was my, like, my idol as a kid. And watching him on the sideline, interacting, playing catch, yelling at Jules, like it was so much fun to get to see that before I died. Like, I got to see Tom Brady play live. It was so awesome. I was going to go to the Tampa and Vegas game in oh. prime time this year, uh-huh. but there's no fans at Vegas, which sucks. But, no. you know, my brother-in-law's a huge Bucks fan. We we're going to road trip it out, make a weekend out of it. I was going to go see Tom. Uh, so hopefully Tom doesn't retire after this year, because if he does, I will be heartbroken. And I will pay any amount of money next year <laughs> to go to a Bucks game <laughs> yeah. live. Yeah. Um, do you are there fans in any stadiums? I think like Green Miami. Bay has a couple. Miami's Miami. got thirteen thousand, but it, uh, I talked to my buddy uh, mm. who works for the team. I think it's like only season ticket holders. Yeah, and I think if you're going to go and you're not a season ticket holder, you have to get it aftermarket, and the prices are probably pretty crazy. As I would think. Yeah, it's a good way to make a buck, I guess. Yeah. But. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about Melvin Ingram. I I was watching Hard Knocks, and I what stood out to me was the way he did like a hold in where he decided to. He wanted a new contract. He's negotiating, but instead of so he, he didn't risk his body, he didn't practice like running around live. But he was there, engaged, coaching up guys, high fiving people. I've never seen that. Have you ever seen that before? Did you like what you saw from Melvin Ingram? His holdout. It's an interesting way to basically. It's almost like a shot across the bow. And DeAndre Hopkins did a similar thing a few years ago, <clears throat> where he did a one day holdout. And it was a shot across the bow. It's like, look, I'm going to show up and be there for my team, but I'm not going to show up to the first day because I want to let you know I'm pissed and I want money. And Mm. the team, you know, he talked to the team. This was the Texans at the time. Yeah. And and he says, I'm coming back, but, like, I can make that one-day holdout a month if I really need to, if you don't give me – and this was, I think, when he was negotiating his first Mm. big extension. Yeah. And then then they got it done. He got, you know, he was the highest-paid receiver. Uh, And so I think Ingram's kind of handling it a similar way where it's like – I'm giving you the courtesy of still being in this building, but I can leave anytime I want to. Mm. And so I think yeah. it's it's a soft holdout, which is more of a warning shot than some other like actual holdouts like we saw with Le'Veon Bell, where it stretches yeah. into the year. So it's an interesting way. I am curious to see if he does get the money he wants. Uh, well, does I, it work? Because it may not put pressure on the team. They're like, well, you're still here. And like, I don't know. I'd be very curious yeah. to see. And I, I think it depends on if we if he gets paid or not. Like, if he doesn't yeah. get paid, then obviously agents are going to tell their clients, like, don't, like, you know, don't go. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Maybe he just didn't mm-hmm. want to get fined. I don't know. <laughs> but. Yeah. I love Tyrod Taylor. I know we this wasn't in our plan to talk about, but I... I don't, and love is maybe a strong word there, but I think he's underrated. I mean, he took the Bills to the playoffs. He's better than people realize. And I think he's the right guy. He better, in my opinion, start if not all year, the majority of the year for L.A. until maybe it gets to a point where they're not in the playoffs and like, well, we got to see what we have with Justin Herbert. I get if that happens, but I, I like him. Am I crazy with that? Do you like him as well? I like him more than Justin Herbert. 
<laughs> I was talking to my girlfriend about Justin Herbert this morning. She goes, tell me about Justin Herbert. I was like, oh. Like, I was like, look, I, I don't like Justin Herbert. And I know if Brett Coleman isn't big on Justin Herbert, I'm not crazy either. Because I, I live in Oregon. Like, I get hate all the time oh, in yeah. the supermarket from people that are like, you're the guy that hates Justin Herbert. I'm like, dude, how, how is this following me to Winco Foods? Like, really? <laughs> like, dang it, man. But it happens all the time. Um, so you, Tyrod is better than Justin. Do you, do you like, I, I like him. I think he's okay. I think he works hard. He's a good leader for that locker room. Do you think he's the guy for 13 games? They will. And that's the thing is he's not good enough to keep his job. Yeah. Because there's always going to be the allure of the unknown. Yeah. Even yep. if I think the unknown is worse, Tyrod is, is not good enough to keep that pressure off of him for them to yeah. not eventually turn there. Because at the yeah. same time, this team has to sell tickets. Well, not this year, but eventually they have to sell Well, that's what tickets. I said. Maybe they go, well, no one's in the stands anyway. Let's try to compete. But, but they also that even have help to them? generate excitement for the season and everything yeah. like that. Like, I don't think, I don't think Taylor starts the whole year. Yeah. Uh, I don't know when their bye week is. I would imagine if week it's Week seven. Like, it's week seven? Oh, that's perfect. Yep. Yeah. In, in terms of like... I, a, I have them know. benching Tyrod going to... And then I think they're going to lose a bunch after that and just be yeah. a mess, but whatever. Like if they start, if they start anything less than 500... Taylor's getting benched and they're going to Herbert over the yeah. bye week. If it's yeah. like a two and four, he's benched. If they go three and three, maybe Taylor can hold them off. But let me look at their their opening schedule. I'm and make sure I'm right about the bye week because I know that somebody plays them going into the bye week. Maybe it's the Bengals. Somebody somebody plays them after their bye week. Maybe their bye week's later. So they start with the Bengals week one, which theoretically Who do they play week eight. Uh, Let's see, wait, what, Bengals, and then it's the Chiefs, Panthers, better team, Oof. and then the Bucks, and then the Saints, and the Jets. So they're three and three at best if uh, they can beat Burrow, if they can beat the Panthers, which yeah. I would say is like a 50 50. Yeah. And the I think Jets, they, beat they Burrow can probably too. beat. So, like, we're, we're, I talk- think they're three and three. I think, you think they lose to Burrow? They have Chris Harris Jr., they have. Two good defensive ends. They have good receivers. I saw they a better lot of first round than... corners get toasted by Joe Burrow, <laughs> <laughs> and it's in Fair Cincinnati. Enough. And it's yeah, in Cincinnati. yeah, that's true. So the travel, I think, is you know, it's it's a real factor. But either way, yeah. their best case scenario is three and three. Yeah. If if they you know, let's say you know because uh, Greg Williams' defenses can mm-hmm. be overwhelming for even veteran quarterbacks at times. Yeah, if the Jets steal one off the Chargers and you slip to two and four, it's over. Like they have to yeah. go to Herbert because then they play against Miami uh, after the bye week, which is a winnable game. Yeah, I think Miami is better prepare, than people like, think. But then yeah. you get the Herbert versus Tua, theoretically Herbert versus Tua, which is like you know a big thing. It'd like, be fun from a branding perspective. I'm not saying it's good from a football perspective. From a branding yeah. perspective. Miami is probably his first start. Yeah, that makes sense. It's unfortunate. I, I think they're gonna they're gonna blow their load a little too early, and it's gonna really hurt their development of their, of their quarterback, and I think hurt their season. And oh, I don't think they, they care about their season. Taken but... Isaiah Simmons and then got Jalen Hurts in the second round. They would be fine if they did that. Yeah, they they would be totally yeah. fine. But no, <laughs> gotta no. take the kid with the big arm. <sighs> He does throw a beautiful ball, but so does Derek Carr. So does a lot of people. You know, it's like... Well, when it hits yeah. the target, one out of every five <laughs> times. 
Well, when, or when he's not throwing his receivers into a safety and getting leveled. Dude, yeah. Poor receiver. How did no one at Oregon seem to hate him? It's weird how they all like love him, support him. I'm like, he's getting you killed. There were some passes where guys would get up and like go like, you know, <laughs> say, what the hell, Justin? Like, <laughs> trying to get me concussed over here. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, so, hey, Von Miller. Can we talk about Von Miller? Oh, God, that's rough. I, I don't know that it's as bad as... So it's an emotional loss, for sure. They lose a leader. It feels like a gut punch because he's been there so long they love him I don't know I mean let, let's talk about just strictly Denver and Kansas City because I think that's what if they're going to win their division or do well they got to beat Kansas City I don't know if, don't know if they can but in that matchup especially their offense is their defense I mean yes. does Von Miller lose them another game I don't know I don't I don't know that they do necessarily lose a lot more because of losing Von Miller I like him he's great but they need to score a lot of points to win anyway right am I crazy on that they need him for games like this one against Tennessee mm. is what they needed yeah. because Von Miller historically has been awful against Mitchell Schwartz anyway. Like Mitchell Schwartz is his mm-hmm. kryptonite. So it's yeah. not like he was going to be that big of a factor against the Chiefs no matter what. Like that was always going to be yeah. Drew Locke's game to win, not Von Miller's. Yeah. Because for yep. the last, I don't know, five years, that's not been Von Miller's game to win. He's He very rarely does well against the Chiefs because mm-hmm. of Mitchell Schwartz. Mm-hmm. But also when you package the fact that Vaughn's not there with Chubb being limited uh, to start the year, he's on a pitch count, uh, and the fact that it's Locke's first game in a new offense, as much as we love Shermer as an OC, it's still Locke's first game, new weapons, new offense against a returning coaching staff, a team that just went to the AFC Championship game, you know, two starting edge rushers gone, offensive line has questions, you've had opt-outs. Uh, mm. Bowles historically has been poor to start the year and then good to finish the year. So if that trend yeah. holds, we can expect the uh, typical September Garrett holds to return. So it's it's a very tough matchup that they needed all hands on deck for to beat Tennessee. Mm. Yeah, I if I was gonna just do a straight up pick them, I would pick the Titans. I think it'll be close because you know of that kind yeah. of Denver magic that they always have. I don't think it'll be like more than two points, but I would. I would probably pick Tennessee, but mm. as it relates to beating the Chiefs, like that was always going to be a you got to score thirty five to win type. With Drew Locke, I mean, yeah, is it weird? How valuable is the defensive end? Because I saw Khalil Mack go to the Bears, and oh, defensive ends going to have a huge impact. Didn't he make the playoffs? And I don't mean to hate on defensive ends, and I mean to hate on Khalil Mack. Khalil Mack's awesome, but is a defensive end really worth five games? Like, how valuable is a defensive end in the scheme of things in terms of football? Is quarterback way more valuable? A defensive end that is paired with a great interior rusher Mm. is a much greater force multiplier than uh, just a defensive end by themselves. Mm. You know, that uh, when Khalil Mack was paired with Hicks, then you're getting full value out of Mack because you got to slide to Hicks. Not to mention Hicks is so disruptive on the inside. He's flushing people into Mack. Like when it's not just the Khalil Mack show, uh, you and you give him more one-on-ones and not to mention Hicks is such a monster against the run that you give him more third and longs to work with yeah. uh, it's a much different scenario so if you're going to pay big money for a defensive end talking to you Dallas with Demarcus Lawrence you better have a dominant interior player with him yeah. or else you're never going to get full value like we mm. love edge rushers they're a very important position uh, but in terms of spending big money on a position, and this is something I firmly believe, uh, and as more and more analytics have come out over the last five years, it's only kind of expanded this mindset uh, yeah. across the analytics community. It is If you're going to spend money on one position 
on offense and on defense that is not reliant on every other position to be effective. It's quarterback on offense and it's corner on defense. If you have great corners, you don't rely on uh, a great safety to make a great corner. Yeah. Unless you're yep. like a pure zone system or something like that. But like that's why Miami, you know, they're spending big on Xavier. They're spending big on Byron. First round pick on Igbenogany. They're loading up at corner because if you have three good corners that can play man, it doesn't really matter if you have a great free safety because all their mm-hmm. guys are going to be locked up anyway. And they're yep. not spending on defensive end. They're not spending on defensive tackle because those two positions, in a way, kind of rely on each other to be good. Corner in yep. a vacuum. If you have good corners, you're going to have a good defense. So uh, to answer your whole question about was the Khalil Mack trade worth it? Yes, when Akeem Hicks was healthy. When Akeem <laughs> Hicks got hurt last year, yeah, Mack's value plummeted. So now that Hicks is healthy again this year, yeah, sure, it's going to be a great defense. But if Hicks gets hurt again, the Bears defense goes with him. Mm. I know this is something you've thought about. How in the world would you stop Denver? Because they have mm. two good running backs. They've got KJ Hamler. They have uh, Jerry Judy. They have Cortland Sutton. They have a good running back Noah, or a good tight end, Noah Fant. Weapons galore. Schematically, what do you do? I mean, do you just hope Drew Locke makes a mistake eventually? He's young and just assume he's going to be better in two years. But for now, just r- depend on Drew Locke screwing up at some point. What do you do? A lot of it is the same things that you have to do against Kansas City. Which, when you look at the metrics of Kansas City versus zone and Kansas City versus man, yeah, when you play man against Kansas City, <laughs> it's over. You well, it depends because Tyreek is obviously good against man, but if you're playing cover one double, mm. then it all becomes the Travis Kelsey show because he was their only mm. other good man beater. Like Nicole Hardman is not really a man beater. Sammy Watkins is a man beater, but he's never healthy. And I was having mm. a, a talk about this with Craig Stout who's a Chiefs film guy for Arrowhead Pride. And one of the main reasons why they drafted Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is because he's a man-beater. And mm-hmm. teams would play a lot of man coverage against them, and then it just became Travis Kelsey, Travis Kelsey, Travis Kelsey, because he was their only reliable man-beater. Because if you're playing cover one double, you're shadowing Tyreek. Like, he's not going to go up and beat double teams. Like, that's not yeah. really his game. Like, he's more of a, if I'm on an island, yeah, I'll run by you. But it's yeah. he's, not a, he's not a DeAndre Hopkins. He's not a Michael Thomas. He's not a Devontae Adams that's going to go up and sky up and, and beat double teams. So the Chiefs are drafting weapons to beat man coverage because they kind of had nobody else besides Travis that could reliably do it. Mm, And I think Denver's the same kind of thing where you have to play man against them because if it's zone, they're just going to sit in between it. They're going to eat you up all day. But if you have the corners that can play man, I'm talking a big physical guy that can go toe-to-toe with uh, with Cortland outside. You Mm. have a guy with really good feet and hips that can keep up with Judy. Uh, not necessarily somebody who's a speed demon, but just somebody who's really, really quick and good and good feet, uh, like Jonathan Joseph in his prime. You know that that kind of corner. Uh, then you do need somebody in the slot who has a lot of speed that can run with KJ Hamler, and of course you need a linebacker in the Devin Bush mold in, that can run four four and play with Noah Fant. If you yeah. play zone, it doesn't really matter because again in that Shermer system, they're just going to settle routes and, and eat you up. But if you have the guys that can play man. And then all of a sudden, when Locke has to scan from read to read to read, and he's seeing all these guys locked up hip to hip, he's not quite at a place in his development where he can look at these covered receivers and then throw mm. them open anyway. Yeah, You know, like Drew Brees, like if everybody's locked up in man, it's whatever, he can throw them open anyway. Locke's yeah. not there. So you have to play man. 
but that's why they're drafting all these weapons is because they're like, we're going to make it hard for you to play man. We're, you, you, yeah. You're going to need three corners. You're going to need a linebacker that runs 4-4. You're going to need a good safety. So that's kind of what they're going for is we know that there's a specific style that you have to play against us, so we're just going to have as many weapons as possible so that you can't play that style. <laughs> I love that. Uh, do you want to talk Houston? Oh, God. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay, first of all, I why are you a Houston Texans fan? I've, I've always wondered that. You're not from Texas. No, I'm, I'm a, from Southern California, but my dad worked in Houston when I was growing up. Mm, and I it. wasn't really feeling any of the California teams growing up because at the time there was nothing really in proximity to Orange County. You know, no. San Diego was San Diego. The Bay Area teams were the Bay Area. My dad yeah. lived in Houston. It was a new team. I was like, yeah, let me hop on this bandwagon of self-loathing. Yeah. And 20 years <laughs> later, here I am. <laughs> You ever go to a game as a kid? Uh, yeah, yeah. When That's I was awesome. Houston, yeah. You watch David Carr? Regrettably. Oh, <laughs> so I have the Houston Texans going eight and eight this year. I I think their their defense has a lot of concerns to me. I think they're just going to lean too heavily on Deshaun Watson, and I think it's unfair to keep asking him to be Superman every single year. Is that kind of what you see? Do you have a what's your prediction for your team this year? Oh man, I would say a floor of eight and eight, a ceiling of ten and six. So I'll settle on nine and yeah. seven. Okay, and that's yeah. partially because other than the Jaguars, I think the AFC South is a pretty good division. Yeah, and I can almost guarantee you they split with Indy. I can almost guarantee you they split with Tennessee, and then you know they still have to play. Obviously, Kansas City this week—that's a loss. Yep. Uh, you know, you're playing New England, which I think is a toss-up. Uh, you're playing Baltimore. Like, it, there's a lot of good teams in the AFC that are on their slate, and I I don't really see them as that elite upper echelon AFC team that can actually go toe to toe with the Kansas mm. Cities and the Baltimores and everything like that. Like, they might be able to get one off New England, assuming, uh, depending on you know how Cam is playing. Obviously, uh, they might yeah. be able to get New England, but I don't see them getting Kansas City. I don't see them getting Baltimore. Tennessee's a maybe and Indy's a maybe. So it's Yeah. I think they'll be a good nine and seven, but it's probably nine and seven, regardless of Deshaun. Like Deshaun's amazing, but uh the AFC is stacked this year <clears throat> and with no DeAndre Hopkins out there, uh that can go beat Marlon Humphrey, uh that yeah. can go beat Stephon Gilmore, like all these teams that play a lot of man coverage, like I said, that have a lot of corners, like you need a receiver that can go out and beat them, and they don't have that anymore. Hmm. Um, is there? I sent you my predictions, my list of like 32 predictions, and is there any one that you look at and you go, "That's there's no way that's happening." Is there one that stands out to you that you completely disagree with? I don't want to say there's no way it's happening. Uh, yeah, Cardinals at 12 and four is interesting. Yeah, mainly because of the division they're in. Sure. So I I don't think I actually saw this. We can run through the Cardinals schedule really quick. What are the yeah. four losses? I'm very My curious. My four losses are Seattle, okay. Buffalo, okay. New England, and San Francisco. I think they're going to – I can't see – I love Kyler. I love their offense. I think Bill Belichick's got schemes that are going to make Kyler swim a little bit. He just He's so good as a coach schematically. Uh, they're playing Seattle. I think they lose that. I have them going 4-2 and two in their division. They're going to sweep the Rams in my prediction, my silly – that's fun. Mm. I don't know. I have them beating the Seattle once. I have them beating the 49ers once. Um, I think it helps they have Isaiah. Um, what's that? Why is his name escaping me? Simmons, yes. There you go. Um, I, I 
And I think I'm kind of depending on the 49ers having a hard time bouncing back from the Super Bowl just because that's what happens every year uh, when the team loses the Super Bowl traditionally. Um, and so it, it's not perfect. I know that. But that's where I landed on 12-4. and four. Actually, what I do is I go through and I count up every what, 256 games. And then at the, I like, pick every game. And then I count them up at the end and I go, oh, my gosh, the Cardinals are 12-4. and four. That's weird and crazy. So that's what I, how I landed on that. Um, but I, it makes a little bit of sense to me when you look at it. What do you think of all that? Um, I just typed in. I'm looking at their schedule right now. And I'm trying to see, like, okay, who's the average to below average team, but somewhere in the average range that's going to steal a game off of them? Mm. And we've talked about them before. Yep. Miami. Miami. November yep. 8th. But they have a bye week going into it. That's, that's where I would go. They got a bye week to prepare for Miami. It but doesn't hurt them. Miami's pretty simple. It's we're playing man. Yeah. You know, Our corners like, are even, better even, than... Even you know, yeah. the corners out of camp are saying, we're in man 90% of the time. So it's not like you know mm. you got a game plan for them. It's more like, that's are fair. you better than them? And yeah. uh, there's a lot of teams... Like, as much as I love DeAndre Hopkins... If you're playing cover one double with an elite corner like Xavier Howard, yeah. with safety help, yeah, and then you explain got, cover one double for people that don't know. It's go ahead. So uh, cover one double is a whole bunch of different ways to execute it, but it's basically like we're playing yeah. cover one across the board, uh, and one high safety, one high safety, but that safety is like shading towards whatever number they're yeah. game planning for. So shading to DeAndre Hopkins in this shading situation. To, you know, the Patriots yep. do that too. And that's one thing to yep. keep in mind for when Bill, Bill is terrified of DeAndre Hopkins. Really? He, they, even when they had Gilmore on Hopkins, he was doubled mm. every play. Mm. That is, that is one of the receivers that Bill Belichick is terrified of. He will huh. never leave him one-on-one, -on -one, even with Stephon Gilmore. And so I think Flores, who was under Bill Belichick when they started doing that a couple of years ago, is going to be yeah. the same way. It's like, hey, he made that decision probably. He, yeah, it was like, hey, we're we're doubling Hopkins. Like we've still got Noah in the slot. Mm. We've still got Byron Jones on the other side. Like we think Byron Jones can cover Christian Kirk. We think that Noah can cover Larry. Uh, you know, we we've had. You still got uh, what's that guy uh, from small from UMass? What's his name? Andy uh, Isabella. Yeah, Andy Isabella. Yeah. But even then, like, if you're relying on Andy Isabella to be your saving grace. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, you're not wrong there. You know, like, I just, I think the Dolphins are going to be a top seven or eight defense this year. They're going to sneak up on a lot of people. Mm. Um, and I would, if if the Cardinals, who I think are going to be a good team, drop a random game in the middle of the season that you don't expect. Yeah. It's Miami. They're built to stop them. Mm. I love that. What about Dallas? They play Dallas uh, right before Seattle. I have Dallas going eight and eight. I think that I I see. Uh, and let's just talk about the way they out. match up with the Cardinals. Yeah, okay, that's what I think too. Blow them out. They're, they have like a rookie corner. I'm like, I don't see how this matchups at all. No, it's that's like the Cowboys are going to score, but the Cardinals yeah. are going to score a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree. Uh, I got one more question for you. You might not know this guy. I somehow I made my prediction for the Colts. Uh, I had them going eleven and five. I really like them. My one question was, do they have kind of a scat running back? Because Philip Rivers loves swing routes. He loves to use that. Um, and I'm like, well, they don't have their two. What is it? Ma, Marlon Mack and then uh, what's Jonathan Hines Taylor. Was there Naheem scat. Hines. Yeah. Yeah. So that do you do you know anything about him? I, I know very little about him. That's literally you know what he is. He's, he's, a, he's a scat yeah. back. You know, we're 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 in five man protection. We're free releasing him to the flat. You know, we're getting yeah. him on angle routes. We're running him on wheels. We'll put him out in the slot, go empty. He'll run option routes. Like, that's kind of what he does. Mm. 
Uh, yeah, because Jonathan Taylor's not a great receiver. No. He's nope. okay. And yeah. Marlon Mack is he's good in protection, but again, he's not like a great threat as a receiver. Naheem yeah. Hines is that guy. So How do they get him on the field, though? Because I know like thing. with Eckler, it's nice. Because with Eckler before, he's on the field all the time, so it's yeah. never a shock. when it's, not a, it's a surprise, I guess, sometimes when he runs a swing That's route. That's the thing is because both the other guys are so much better at running than Hines. Yeah, you know they, they're just they're better running backs <laughs> than, than well, receivers. Do a defense, you tip your hand. If Naheem Hines comes onto the field, you go, okay, we know what they're doing. Exactly, right? and then then you're basically just like, all right, we're going into dime. We're putting a corner on him, so yep. you almost kind of have to put a lot of runs with him on tape, and then mm-hmm. just try to try to figure out like, okay, if if you're going against like a one gap front. Like, okay, let's see if we can catch him in some traps and, like, spring mm-hmm. Hines for a little bit, put that on tape like that we're threatening it, and then, you know, kind of make make him second-guess a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and, and leave, like, nickel out there instead of putting out dime because then mm-hmm. we might be able to get, like, a Mike linebacker on him if we, if we put him out to, like, number three in the slot. Like, then we might be able to get that matchup. But they're going to have to run with him i think early in the year to put it on tape to let him know that they're willing to do it before they can really get him involved as a receiver i love we we're having an incredible matchup week 2 we have the vikings and uh the colts it's going to be so much fun mm. and i i was watching the vikings i think it was vikings raiders they had this blitz and i'm like i don't know there's literally mike zimmer's such a genius i'm like I don't, there's literally no way to beat this blitz i was like oh my god like mike zimmer sometimes pulls out stuff and you're like i I don't, I, as a quarterback, I don't know what I would do here. You're just, it's just over. Um, I, do you think that matchup's really fun, the Colts and the Vikings? I think it's interesting because I think we're going to see Philip Rivers, who's one of yep. the more seasoned minds in the NFL, yep. going up against Mike Zimmer, one of the more seasoned DCs in the NFL. But more yeah. specifically, it's going to be Philip Rivers versus Eric Kendricks which I think is a phenomenal battle at the line of scrimmage because Eric Kendricks is brilliant. And so I'm going to be watching that game solely to watch them checking against each other at the line of scrimmage because I think that's going to be really, really, really fun to watch. Like I think we're going to see check, shifts check, all check. over the place. <laughs> and I, like I think all 40 seconds of that clock are going to be used on every play when the Colts mm. have the ball because I think that's it's, awesome. it's going a, a, to be a mind meld. You know, It's going to be fun. Yeah. Cool. Man, that's that's all I have. Um, I, I I look forward to this, man. Every time we talk, it's so much fun for me. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? I, I had a blast. This is you gave me so much time, and I, it's so much fun for me. You know, just everybody stay safe, especially if you're on the West Coast right mm-hmm. now. Um, yeah. You know, if you have large animals uh, and you're looking for a place to put them, you know, there's resources online, specifically on Twitter. Uh, mm. you know, there, there are like, that's, that's especially up by you, you know, yeah. everybody has yep. livestock, large animals and stuff like that. Yep. Um, I would say look on Twitter and like, I've been, you know, putting out resources and stuff for, cause I have friends over in Yakaipa, they're a couple miles away yeah. from the fires and that's horse yeah. country and everything like that. So I try to put out information on where to take livestock and animals and everything like that. Cause that's, mm. that's the hardest part for people leaving. So if you have any resources yep. available and you live in the area, please let people in your community know, uh, and just stay safe. You know, we're, we still got probably another month to go in fire season, so we're not out of it yet, but, nope. uh, stay safe. Cool. Brett, thank you so much. Um, I look forward to talking next time. It'll be a really, really fun treat. Absolutely. See you next week. Let's now shift to my conversation with Tom Grossi. He runs the Pat cast, a Packers podcast. He's literally one of my favorite football people 
on the planet, a good friend of mine. I've been to his house in New York, all the way from the West Coast where I live. Blood, sweat, tears. We've been through a lot together. Uh, I've got his back. I know he's got mine. He's a great dude. Take a listen. It was a really fun conversation, and uh, enjoy that now. Joining me now is Tom. You don't have to be a Packers fan, but it sure does help Grassy Tom. Uh, I'm not a Packers fan, but I love you and your content. Thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely, buddy. It's always a pleasure to uh, team up with the one and only Zach Schaumler. And if people don't know, today's been a heck of a day, as I try to not say the, the actual word there. Uh, been a crazy day with technology. I had Brett Coleman's cat eat through his webcam. I had my screen recording fail trying to do another way to get Brett Coleman. We had your audio and everything going crazy. It's been a journey to do this, but I'm glad you're here. Um, how's life, man? How was your... I wanted to ask you about Ryan Grant. I know you did episode one with Ryan Grant yesterday. How'd that go? Uh, it was good. I, I have to say, you know, when when that opportunity presented itself, I was like kind of weary. I'm like, you know, it's it's an, it's another thing to add to the list. And that's nothing against Ryan. And it was funny because like when we actually got on the phone and started talking to one another, he's just like, man, like I'm busy as hell. Like I have like an hour every Tuesday. <laughs> and I was like, I have an hour every Tuesday. And he's like, yeah, I'm like, Yes. So it, it worked out great. And honestly, like we just we what is actually on film and like what is actually shown, we usually talk for like 45 minutes before just like shooting the crap. Like there's nothing scripted. It's just mm. like, hey, here's some like random topics. But then we talk about random stuff. Uh, and then we are like talking 20 minutes after the cameras are done. So, yeah, no, he's just a super cool oh. down to earth guy. And, you know, it, it's awesome to be able to kind of like talk to him and, and pick his brain about like everything that he's gone through because he played under Favre and Rogers. So like he kind of like mm. got the best of both worlds, you know, so it's uh, it, it's really cool. And I think it also adds you know, just like another layer of like validity, kind of just like, you know, what I'm trying to do. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I know for me, I'm do now on Wednesdays throughout this year, every Wednesday, I'm gonna do a thing called Football Friends, where I have you on, I have Brett Coleman on. And for me, it's just I get to talk to my friends about football, which is like, I don't know about you. For me, it's the best thing in the world. I love that. Um, and I love hearing about it. just talking to people who actually kind of understand what I do. Because, you know, you, you talk to a random person on the street, and they're mad at you about some take. Like I go to Winco Foods, and there are Oregon Duck fans that hate me occasionally, and they're like, you said this about Justin Herbert. I'm like, dude, I'm just at the grocery store. Like, please leave me alone, you know? And here it's like I'm in a safe place with people that know a little bit more about football. It's so fun for me. It's true. This is, this is definitely a, a, a safe space, 100%. <laughs> I want to ask you something. I, I cannot believe I've never asked you this before. Like, I've been to your house. Uh, we talked for like four hours on a podcast. Uh, you're from New York, and I've never asked you how – are you a Packers fan? Like, how does someone from northern, like, I guess not upstate New York, how does someone from New York become a Packer fan? Yeah, it's all because of my dad. So, like, because mm. Papa Grassi is a uh, diehard Cowboys fan. So, yeah. yeah, he, like, tried to raise me like that. And parenting 101, like, if you really, really push it, your kids are probably not going to respond well to it. So uh, when I was in fifth grade, I went into school and heard the Packers beat the Cowboys. And so I went home and told my dad, like, that's my team. And then I just rooted for them for the past 20 something years. So that was uh, so your giant rebellion. A hundred percent. Like, that was it. It wasn't like, <laughs> hey, Tom, or like, hey, dad, I'm going to go do drugs. No, it's like, nah, I'm going to root for the Packers. Like, literally, it was that random of. I because that was the year they went to the Super Bowl and lost against Elway. Mm, like that's they, that's it. when they played the Cowboys, and so like I was like just getting into football. I didn't really know a whole lot about it, but you know I I saw the Super Bowl 
and then lose. I don't even think I stayed up for the entire thing. I think I stayed up for like a little bit and then I fell asleep because I was like young. And then, you know, I, I like saw them lose. I was like, oh, that stinks. And then I just followed them literally for, yeah, so that'd be 23 years. <laughs> That's awesome. It's wild how I love asking people that question. Like, how are you, how did you become a fan of your favorite team? Because it's so interesting. Everyone has some random weird story. Like, like Brett Coleman is a Texans fan. He grew up in Southern California, but his dad lived in Houston for work sometimes. He would visit his dad and go to Houston Texans games. And that's how it's like we all have this weird story from our childhood. I, I don't have a favorite team, but everyone I talk to has some story that got them where they're at. It's just fun for me. I love that stuff. Yeah, no, 100 percent. And like because that's usually like one of the first questions I ask people, like whenever they come on the show, of like, how yeah. did you become a fan of like so and so? You know, usually like if it's the Vikings, the Bears or Lions, they went through like some trauma, um, you know, like just really bad <laughs> upbringing, just like terrible parents. And like that makes sense. You know, that, that you could just like connect the dots. You barely even have to ask them. But yeah, no, it's fascinating. Like, you know, like a grandfather or it's like it's come become like tradition that it like it's passed down to the family and stuff yeah it's it's so much fun my favorite thing about the nfc north is the weird trash talk because it's it's midwest trash talk so it's not like like i was on a plane from cincinnati to minneapolis and then minneapolis to portland so i was in the midwest just briefly around people from that area and in the minneapolis airport you see people that are like oh you're a a stupid packer fan and they say like some really cheesy like dad joke it's not me like new york is mean they hate each other but the midwest is like oh he must have had bad grades in eighth grade he's a he's a vikings fan (laughs) like like okay (laughs) yeah like that's the thing like i feel like it it gets more creative right so they'll just be like ah like get yourself you know a vikings fan you know they'll never get a ring they'll never want to commit like that kind of like like that kind of like cheesy stuff Mm. and then like you go to new york or whatever and they're like eat crap and die like that like that's their insult and there's (laughs) no creativity in just f you like that's not creative at all now honestly yeah new york needs to step up but you know what new york is not known for that new york is for like hey like we're just gonna tell you that we want you to fall down a flight of stairs and that's it like that then that's what it's gonna be Tom, what is your prediction for the Green Bay Packers this year? What do you expect from the, your team in 2020? I, I expect a team, a better team, to actually be on the field than they were last year, but with a worse record. I think hmm. last year, you know, 13-3, and LaFleur's first season, still yeah. falling back on a lot of mccarthy-esque of the playbook right because they only had like you know an off season to really implement it you know yep. and for him to take control of his team i think that coming into year two where the defense was great last year in some area obviously they're not the run defense but the the defense definitely improved the smith brothers changed you know our pass rush he was they were amazing and then you have a guy like Rashawn Gary, who Packers fans called a bust all throughout last year because he barely played, even though we yeah. just drafted him. I think that Absolutely. he is going to destroy this year because he's going to be given a lot more opportunities, you know, and, mm. you know, he, the thing is, he's versatile, so you can move him around the field. Yeah. And I think that I'm really expecting a lot from our defense and some of our younger guys to step up, you know, like, uh, and, and I'm really looking forward to that. Savage taking his Rashawn second Gary. term. Rashawn Gary's been dominating in training camp from what I've heard. Is that true? Yes, he has. And like, you know what? You kind of like saw it too, because like he would post like workout videos during like the combine on like Instagram and Twitter. And I'm like, oh, like that's hot. That's scary. Like, okay. Like he has like gotten in like amazing shape and I'm like, oh, he's going to hurt somebody. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to the defense. And I think with, you know, Rogers, it would have been nice to get another weapon, 
But like a lot of people also go to sleep on like Jay Sternberger, who was one of the top tight ends to come out of last year's draft, you know, got hurt, you know, immediately missed a huge chunk of the season. He's a great passing threat. On top of that, you know, you, you have Aaron Jones, who was like kind of utilized a ton last year. So there's going to be that. And then you got to hope a guy like Alan Lazard or MVS, MVS, who apparently was the most impressive wide receiver. Yeah, Valdez Scantling seems like he's doing great. I mean, I'm excited to watch him. He seems like he's gotten better as a receiver. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, he's the only speedy guy we have. Right. So like he and I feel like this is kind of like his last shot because like we drafted him in 2018 and you know he when we drafted him too like he was older i want to say he's like 25 or 26 already like he's he's not like you know just really really young so i think that you know if he is unable to perform and kind of just like is uh, meh like he has been for the past two years you know i don't know what his future is going to be on the team but i'm i'm very hopeful because if we actually have a speedy threat too yeah, like that's going to that's gonna be a lot of fun. Well, the reality, too, is if you can't succeed as a receiver with Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur drawing up the plays like that, you you probably aren't going to make it in the NFL period. Yeah, and I hope again, I hope it's not the case. I mean, you know, we're basically relying on a bunch of receivers that we drafted in 2018 and the guy that we drafted the highest, Jamon Moore, like I just got cut recently by some other team, you know, so like you don't think he's on the team right now. So that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. it's it's kind of just like coming back and being like, wow, we really hope that those guys we drafted really emerge. Seems like people are overanalyzing Jordan Love a little bit unfairly, really harsh. Is that is that how that feels to me? Because to you, because I I see what's going on. I'm like, guys, he's in practice. Does anyone expect them to play this year? Like, I if anyone thinks Jordan, they're like Jordan Love is not ready. I'm like, yeah, of course he's not ready. He wasn't drafted to play week one. Like, what are you talking about? So tell me about Jordan Love. What's going on? Yeah, with Jordan Love, anybody, and I mean anybody, any fan that looks at that and goes, wow, how is he not good? I should I be like really like you don't know what you're talking about and I and I mean that like that's the nicest thing I can say because if you go back and look at Aaron Rodgers the first two years the guy sucked he was awful in the NFL he was bad in the preseason he was bad in any like kind of like little scrimmages that he got in camp he was god awful like he was bad he looks nothing like he is now and all this, I think it's like the the fans that are still very, very bitter and upset that we drafted Jordan Love in the first place. And now they're just like, oh, look, this is a self-fulfilling prophecy. This is me being correct. Look at the terrible throw that he made into the net or he missed the net throwing it in practice. Like yeah. it's practice. He hasn't played a single preseason game. He hasn't played it in any real games. And like you took an entire offseason program in which the majority of it was online and condensed it into like three weeks. It's been the hardest offseason ever for a rookie quarterback, too. Like that's no one's talking about that. Yeah. And I, and I think like if you expected Jordan Love to come out of the gate swinging, that is not why the Packers drafted him. Right. Like he is not Joe Burrow. He's not starting day one. He's not expected to start day one. He's not expected to start in the next two years. So, like, I, I, I truly don't understand, but, like, we also live in an age where it's instant gratification of, like, no, I need to be proven right or wrong, like, right now. And I feel like that's what they're pointing at Jordan Love for. You know, I was talking to Brett Coleman earlier today. Brett Coleman of the Film Room. I, I, I assume you know who he is. Um, he does great stuff. We were talking about, well, he, first of all, he's not at all high on Justin Herbert. And he is, he's really furious that the Chargers took him six overall. 
And he said at the time of the draft, I would way rather have Jordan Love. And he said this after the draft. He said, I'd rather take Jordan Love at six overall than Justin Herbert. And no one's talking about Justin Herbert isn't ready. It's weird how like we pick the Packers. It's like people are picking on Jordan Love. No one's criticizing and breaking down every single tiny mistake that Justin Herbert's making over in L.A. It's a weird double standard. And it's just like, ah, you guys just don't like him. Just admit that. Yeah, I, I feel like it, it's again, it's that. And like, I will say, though, like Green Bay, I, I actually made this point on Twitter like last week. Like you look at like how much crap Aaron Rodgers gets and the Packers as an organization gets yeah. for only getting him one ring. And then you look at a team like the Saints, right, who have had Drew Brees. They have the same amount of rings as Aaron Rodgers, right? And, like, nobody says a word about that of, like, oh, we're, we're wasting Breeze potential. And I think Breeze is a phenomenal quarterback. And yeah. I think, you know, it, it's just that double standard that it's like, oh, okay, so we're, we're going to point at Rodgers and say, ah, oh, look at all that wasted opportunity, but we're not going to take a look and apply that same exact standard over in New Orleans. And so I, I think it, I think it's attempting to make narratives out of nothing. Like, listen, I would love to have won or gone to more than one Super Bowl. We still have the chance to do that. But I think like everybody's already writing. As soon as Jordan Love was drafted, everybody started writing. Where is Aaron Rodgers going to get traded to? And, you know, like that's like two years down the road at the minimum. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, you, I say you my list of predictions I made in the NFL season. Was there anyone that stood out to you? They're like, I don't know about that, Zach. That's kind of weird. I totally disagree. Yes, a hundred million percent. Which one? Which one or which ones? Uh, All right. There's there's two. Like every of the other ones, I was like, okay, I can see this happening. Two that really stood out to me. One was Dallas at eight and eight. Maybe maybe I have just been around my father too much or like I got near like (laughs) an open paint can and the room wasn't properly ventilated. But like I feel (laughs) like if the Cowboys go eight and eight this year, even if they win the division, if they go eight and eight this year with McCarthy, who's a QB coach, right, with Dak Prescott, who I don't think is like amazing, but like he puts up good numbers and he protects the football. You know, Zeke, this is still the great line. You have C.D. Lamb already joining Gallup and Amari Cooper. The defense has gotten better. They got Everson Griffin. You know, I think that that team should be a double-digit win team. That that was one of... Well, let's start there. Let's talk about them first before we get into the next one. Um, I can defend that, by the way, if I may. So I have them going... I have the Cowboys going 8-8. Eight and eight. I have them winning their division because the Eagles are injured... Uh, I don't expect much from Washington. The Giants are building. Um, I have them going 8-8, eight and eight, the Cowboys 8-8, eight and eight, winning their division. My big problem is, and there's a, little, there's a couple of problems around the roster. I love the receiving core. There's good stuff going on. But I just, when it comes down to it, do I trust Dak Prescott in a big game against a good team? And the answer is no. Look at historically, he struggles. He doesn't do well against really good winning teams. I think last year, like the record was, they were great against bad teams and bad against good teams, and that happens every year. And I'm excited to watch the Cardinals-Cowboys. I think it's week six, and my prediction is the Cardinals are going to wipe the floor with Dallas. It's going to be ugly, I mean, because they, they have so many better weapons. They have The Cowboys have, like, a rookie corner. Uh, uh, what's Stephon Diggs? Trayvon Diggs, I believe is his name, from, uh, from Alabama. Yes. Dude, they're in trouble, and I, I think 8-8, eight and eight, winning their division is great. I think that's good for them. They'll make the playoffs, but my problem is I don't believe in Dak Prescott down the stretch in a big game against a good team, when he's got to put up 40 points to beat whatever team, I don't think his offensive skills can do that. See, because, like, I feel like... 
I don't know, like, do they need him? And what I mean by that mm. is... Yes, absolutely you know, they do. No, absolutely they do. Because they've had great rosters in the past, and they haven't worked. But but that's the thing. The difference maker, I think it is, is not just weapons. I think it's a huge difference that they brought McCarthy in. Because I think, you know, with, with Garrett there, you, you know, it's funny. Because, like, if you look at, at Jason Garrett and you look at Mike McCarthy, you know, obviously, like, there's, a, there's some significant differences. But I'd say a big similarity is is that they both overstayed their welcome, right? McCarthy kind of yeah. in Green Bay, kind of just like, it got it got flat. It, it, it did. That, that was the, the simplest thing. And then with Garrett, people were done with that years ago, but he just stayed too long, stayed too long, what have you. I think him coming in as a QB coach, you know, I, I think that he is going to bring a ton um, over to the Cowboys. And I think if Dak does not mm. succeed on, cause again, you and I both know stats don't mean diddly squat. Like they could be taken out no. of context, but like nope. the Cowboys put up, like their offense was disgusting last year, stat wise, but you're hundred percent correct. When they actually needed to win, they didn't really get it done, especially against good teams. I think that a guy like McCarthy, if you're saying like that, there's been this consistency of having talent all of these years, what's changed. I mean, I think this is a great, experiment to see like how much a coach could have an impact i know it's year one but like how yeah. much of a coach can have an impact on an already talented football team i think he pushes them over the edge well, look what sean mcveigh did for the rams right immediately they were great uh with jared goff i i think what's going to happen unfortunately in dallas and I, there was a video that who put this out there's a Rand bensinger is a great interviewer put out a video about how it was dak prescott talking about his brother's suicide and my heart just aches for Dak Prescott. My brother committed suicide as well. It's terrible and it's awful. And I can love the player Dak Prescott. I love him as a human, as a person, um, and I root for him. I want him to succeed. But I think, unfortunately, and I hate to follow this a sad story about his brother and follow it up with this unfortunate news, but I think what's going to happen in Dallas is that Mike McCarthy is going to realize, hey, we need a different, better quarterback. I think Dak is good enough. But I don't think he's the guy. Well, maybe I'm wrong, and I'm very. If I'm wrong, I'll own it. It's fun. We'll have a great time with it. But I think as weeks go on, we'll go. Yeah, I don't think Dak is the long-term answer in Dallas. If they want to beat a team like the 49ers, like Green Bay, like the Cardinals this year, like Kansas City, like, do you think Dak Prescott's going to go into Kansas City and beat the Chiefs? I don't have any confidence he can. And that's that's the problem, right? Is they don't have a guy that can make a big moment or make plays in big moments at the end of a game against a team like Kansas City. Well, you know, it, it's interesting because you look at how Dak's offseason went, and, I, and I'm curious to see if, like, you're on to something with they didn't give him a long-term deal, right? Yep. They continued with just, like, the franchise tag. They're giving him, you yep. know, It's like, an audition, Tom. They're auditioning him. Hey, is, is this the guy we want long-term? We'll find out. Yeah. Are yeah. you my guy? Because, you know, you have a brand-new head coach coming in. You don't want to commit immediately to, oh, crap, we're stuck with this guy for four years, you know, with all this money on the books, because they could walk away from Dak Prescott next year, theoretically, right? They could just be like, okay, we're done. Yeah, I, it's going to be What if super- they bring in Gardner Minshew? <laughs> I mean, I just want Gardner to be happy. That's all I want. And I want him to be on a team that actually appreciates him and is looking to win games. So totally agree. Yep. Uh, yeah, wherever he goes and if he's happy, I'm happy. Like, I, I love his mindset, too, of like, you know, I think you were talking about this of the whole like Jaguars tanking kind of thing. And I love his responses to that of just he's like, as long as like I'm there, like we're not going to be doing that. Like, that's a leader. Like, that's a, a guy that you want. And I'm rooting so hard for Gardner Minshew and his fashion to just like just do amazing things but like i i am on the 
the the train of yeah they're not gonna be a good team and if they have the opportunity they will absolutely draft trevor lawrence and throw Minshew to the curb who is the and that's the jaguars what's the other team you just strongly disagreed with me on you see it's not that i strongly disagree but like looking at it it's the cardinals and and here's why the yep. the cardinals I am I'm like really high on the card. I love that offense. I'm in love with it. Their offensive line improved, right? I know everyone craps on them, but like their offensive line definitely improved last year. I wouldn't say they're amazing, but they improved. Kyler Murray, you know, incredible last year. I think is going to be even better this year. Getting Hopkins is going to be great. Drake is going to be phenomenal as a running back. I think, you know, you have Kirk who's going to come in. You still have Larry Fitz. I think there's a lot of weapons on that offense that can make them very, very good. The thing that concerns me is that defense. I know you drafted Simmons, but that that is like the big thing for me of like, I don't know if, yes, they could put up points. I agree. They totally can. But I just don't know how many points that defense is going to give up. And even if Simmons is going to come in right away and be like a rock star. So like, I think for me, I think the Cardinals are a year away and throw on top of that. I think the 49ers and Seahawks are very good football teams. And I think that it would be incredibly difficult for them to pull off the division, meaning the Mm. Cardinals. Yeah, so I think a lot of people are going to really push back on my Arizona prediction. I mean, I talked with Brett Coleman today, and he he was also like, the Cardinals, 12-4? and And I I will say that here's my thing, too. Did you expect the Ravens to be great last year with Lamar Jackson and be what they were? Because I personally did not. And I feel like we're having a situation kind of like, Baltimore last year were like, hey, this team's going to feel like they come out of nowhere and just smack people around. Um, now, I will say, I'm, I'm sticking with 12-4 and four, uh, for now. Well, well, as we get more information, things might change. Um, what I talked with Brett about, Brett made a great point. So in order for, for me, for me personally, in my prediction for the Cardinals, in order for them to get to 12-4, and four, they have to go 4-2 and two in the NFC West. They have to beat the Seahawks once, they have to beat the 49ers once, and they have to sweep the LA Rams. That's a big ask. But the one thing Brett pointed out that I thought was really interesting, he said, I think it's week six, I believe. Him and I went through the schedule for the Dolphins. They play the Dolphins week six. And that's a team that could steal a win from Arizona that could hurt them later down the road. Or they, they're down a game to Seattle. Or they're down a game to the 49ers because they lost a game that maybe they shouldn't have to Miami. Because Miami plays, they're going to play like 90% man coverage. They've got three really good corners. Noah Igbenogany, that, uh, that rookie. They have Xavier Howard. They have Byron Jones. They're going to play cover one double, which means they're going to cover. They're going to play cover one against Miami. Double team down to Hopkins and make Andy Isabella beat them underneath that like fourth, their number four receiver. And if you're leaning on Andy Isabella to win you a game against Miami, that could be a big concern. And so it's possible, and I'm very willing to be wrong on the Cardinals that they lose a game to like Miami that they shouldn't lose. That trips them up, and they're therefore a wild card team rather than a playoff team, rather than a division winner. But I think the low end for the Cardinals is 10 and 6, 11 and 5. Their top end is 12 and 4. I went the top end, but I, I just don't see this being a bad team that misses out on the playoffs either, if that makes sense. Hmm. See, like for me, again, like I'm, I'm all about the offense. It's just I don't know if that defense is going to make that big of a jump. And again, I'm all about, like I, I'm telling you, within a year, that team is going to be a very good football team. Um, I, I think there's just a lot of potential questions but you're right they they literally could come out of nowhere and surprise people i also don't see 
you know, the 49, I guess, I think the 49ers are going to be a ridiculously good football team again this year. I yeah. think a healthy Seahawks yep. are still going to be a ridiculously good football team. I think Chris Carson's going to have himself a really nice year that they can rely on a running game, you know, if everyone can stay healthy for once. But yeah, yeah no, I think it's just, it's such an incredibly competitive division. And I could argue that that's the best division in football right now. Oh, I, I would for sure. I would say they are. I don't know that uh, the, the bottom, the bottom team in that division, I have LA, the LA Rams. I think they're still good. I they, they could beat a couple teams in the NFL. You're like, wow, I, if the Rams are your worst team, you're doing something pretty good. Yeah, no, that that division in itself is going to be absolutely fascinating this year just to like take a look at. And again, you know, I think the Cardinals can definitely sneak into like a team like a like a wild card spot, especially now that there's seven spots. I, I would that would not surprise me in any way, shape or form. I just don't know if they take like that huge jump this year. I want to ask you a question. This is not in our plan, but. What do you see in the NFC North? When I look at, um, I, I look, I, I love Green Bay. I think they're great. I think right behind them is Minnesota. Then I think there's a big gap between Minnesota and Detroit and Chicago. Not necessarily talent-wise, but I think in wins at the end of the year, we'll look back and go, oh, wow, uh, there's Minnesota and Green Bay, then Chicago, then Detroit. Is that kind of how you see that going? And I Look, I, if I may real quick, the, the Bears named Trubisky their starter, and I went, what? in the world why what's going on and maybe Trubisky surprises the world and is great but I don't see that happening what do you think of all that okay yeah there, there's a lot here okay we talked about the Packers like I said I think they'd be a good football yeah. team but like I think they're still gonna win the division because if anything if you want to look at it this way they didn't regress the only regression I saw was the fact that they lost uh, Brian Bulaga you know hopefully Ricky Wagner's okay but it looks like there's a battle at right tackle doesn't make me see feel so good whatever okay you go with the Vikings and I've seen both camps with this. I think the Vikings had an amazing draft. I think they had a very, very good draft. I think losing Stefan Diggs and replacing him with Justin Jefferson. Jefferson, I think he's going to be a very good football player. I think he's going to be real good. However, he's I don't... Diggs. He's not Stefan Diggs. But two, even if he is, he's not going to be there year one. And if he is, mm-hmm. I think he's going to come in later. Because again, for the... I'm, I'm going to generalize here... For the most part, it takes a while for wide receivers to get acclimated to the NFL. It does, right? So I think if you are expecting that offense to just come out firing on all cylinders with Justin Jefferson, I don't think it's going to happen. You know, they have Thielen, who's still really good. They have Dalvin Cook, who's still really good. Their offensive line is still suspect. They lost Everson Griffin, but they replaced him with Ngankwe. I don't know if you saw, but Daniel Hunter is out for three weeks on IR. So that is massively going to hurt them, especially for those first three weeks. You know, I I don't know their exact schedule. I know, obviously, they pay the Packers first, um, but that could be devastating for them. Their safeties are really good, but their corners are very, very young and inexperienced. So I think, you know, they could take a step down. I still think they're going to be a good football team. I think their defense will keep them in enough games, you know, with Dalvin Cook in that running game. If he can stay healthy, they'll keep him in enough games. Um, and that's where I think the Vikings are. So, yeah, I think second place is is probably accurate for them. The Bears are a fascinating team in which their defense shouldn't have regressed. I know they got Robert Quinn, um, but they're, they're, that defense is pretty much still intact. They should be a top five defense, or at least top 10. But that offense, you mentioned Mitch Trubisky, and it actually makes a lot of sense. And what I mean by that is you, you got Nick Foles, you traded for him, you're paying him like $21 million guaranteed, you gave up a fourth for him. And I would imagine you're just like, why the hell is he not starting week one? Like, and, and just call it a day. Yeah. I, I feel like... If they 
put in Nick Foles from week one and Nick Foles does not perform, which I'm going to say right now, I don't think there's a guarantee he does. Oh, wow. I know where you're going with this. Yeah. See, I don't think he does. So if you put in Nick Foles week one and let's just say it's week four and they suck, right? Like Nick, like Nick Foles is just not the guy. You're then going to say the guy who beat him in camp, the guy that you have seen that you drafted and the fan base has completely shut down on. You're going to start Mitch Trubisky and think that that's going to go over well. I don't think there's and like that's supposed to inspire team confidence. I, I do not see that happening. So I so I think honestly, it's a win win for the Bears because you start yeah. Mitch Trubisky. If he does well, you look like a genius because you're like, ah, you know, we brought Nick Foles in and he's had a great attitude and he played up to the competition. Blah, 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 blah. You look like a genius. If he doesn't, you have Nick Foles that you just traded for and you have an option for maybe things to improve. Tom Grossi. Oh, my. Can I give you a round of applause? That's so smart. That's how I'm looking at it. You know, that doesn't mean it's necessarily correct, but I feel like they will say at the end of the day, we gave Mitch Trubisky every opportunity possible. And, and that's it. Well, also, man, the, the, the most loved person on a football team is the backup quarterback on a bad team. If a team's doing poorly, everybody loves the backup quarterback and how much for just from a marketing perspective, if you're doing bad and you're benching Trubisky, who people already kind of hate, and bring in Nick Foles, who's known to do well off the bench. People are like, oh, uh, week six, a new reneds, a renewed sense of hope. That's what Tr- Foles will bring. I had not thought about that at all. Tommy Grassi. I love that. That's it. Now, again, are, is Matt Nagy going to call plays like well and actually utilize David Montgomery? That's a little big question mark, too. Their offensive line also didn't get any better. I think they drafted guys in like the sure. sixth round. But yeah. yeah, no, I think, you know, it, it's going to be challenging for that offense to get it going. They could do really well. You know, I, I don't think they will, but I think that, and as I've said a million times, it's not all Trubisky's fault. The reason why the Bears struggled last year, it's not Trubisky was a part of it, but it's not yeah. all his fault. And I think that if you think just replacing the QB is going to magically fix your offensive line, your lack of running game, your terrible play calling. I think that, no, I don't think that's the thing. I think that you'd be better, but I don't think that's going to magically fix all of your problems. Like if Nick Foles gets hit, the guy who has not played a single full season in his entire career. I mean, how, how can you have confidence in that and put it this way? You know, I love Gardner Minshew, but the Jaguars threw a crap ton of money at Nick Foles and chose Gardner Minshew over Nick Foles, who they just Mm. traded for. And then they put him back in after he got hurt and he sucked. So like for me, that does not inspire a single drop of confidence. But again, you know, you never know. Different team, different surroundings. You know, Nick Foles yeah. has pulled off magic before. So I wouldn't doubt it. And finally, the Detroit Lions. I think the Detroit Lions have the potential to go to the playoffs. I do. Mm, I think wow. that they, they can be a playoff contending team. Their defense scares me a little bit. Their defensive line, you know, wasn't as good as I thought it'd be. I know they lost Snacks Harrison, but he didn't contribute a ton last year anyway. Um, they got rid of Slay, but they replaced him with Okuda. So I, I think the defense is solid, right? It's not amazing, but it's solid. But you have a healthy Matthew Stafford coming back, and I think Matthew Stafford is one of the most underrated QBs in the NFL. Stafford coming back. TJ Hawkinson, who was the best tight end coming out of last year's draft, got hurt. I think is still dealing with like a nagging injury, but he could be a huge weapon for them. Kenny Galladay, one a fantastic wide receiver. You have Marvin Jones in there. And now they have Adrian Peterson. They have DeAndre Swift. They have Carrion Johnson. Maybe they'll actually have a running game, you know, since Barry Sanders. 
I think that that team could surprise a lot of people. They took the Packers down to the wire twice, twice mm. in which the Packers were not yeah. leading a single second in that game in either game. They won with the last second field goals in both games. So I think that the lion, and that's when they were hurt too. Like, I think the lions yeah. could definitely surprise people this year. Um, but then again, I've also said that for like five years and it just never happens. So one of these yeah. years, like I'm, I'm going to be like, up oh, called it. <laughs> Well, I feel the same way about the Cleveland Browns. Keep saying, "Oh, the Browns—they're—they're they're trying, they're getting better," and then they don't. It's like, it keeps being a false start. Do you think? And I know we're running long, but I want to ask you this: if you—if you have time, is it—if it doesn't work in Detroit this year, do they got to move on from Matthew Stafford? Like, are they better off restarting everything and letting Matthew Stafford get to a better team? Yeah, I think you get rid of Patricia. I think you get rid of Stafford, and that's the thing. It. I think Lions fans are insane when they're calling for Matthew Stafford's head. Matthew Stafford has kept you in he's the so victim. He's the victim. many games. You, he's never had a running game. The guy gets murdered back there by his offensive line. You know, he's just getting weapons to throw to. Like, yeah, no, I, I like, you know, he had Megatron for a bit and like that, like kind of covered up a lot of stuff. But yeah, no, it it he he is totally not the problem in Detroit. Yeah. You know, I think that Matt Patricia came in and tried to make them the Detroit Patriots and try to make Matthews, especially that first year, try to make Matthew Stafford, you know, just be like that quick release throw Tom Brady esque QB when he has a cannon of an arm. That's not what he does. And like, they realized that year two, you know, when they were like doing pretty well, they were technically undefeated. Um, you know, they had a tie with the Cardinals and like, again, then everyone got hurt and it all kind of like fell apart. But I think that if they put it together this year, I'm sorry, if they don't put it together this year, yeah, you need to start firing people. And it's not Matthew Stafford's fault, but I wouldn't be surprised if they just like hit a clear refresh because Slay even said coming out that like they did not get along with Matt Patricia because Patricia is like, you know, doesn't get along with everybody in that locker room. Yeah. He's like the Bill O'Brien, Bill Belichick approach. Uh, you know, I, I look at, as I think I have a fantasy in my head, if the Lions do terrible, if they decide to reset and if Drew Brees retires... Then you go, well, hey, Matthew Stafford's made bucket loads of money. He doesn't need the money. He can go to New Orleans, pay whatever they can afford to pay him because of their salary cap problem, and say, hey, I'm going to go win a Super Bowl. I, I've made my money. I want to be on a good team for once in my life and win a Super Bowl. That, that's, a, that's a fun fan fiction novel I just wrote, but oh my gosh, how cool would that be to see? I feel bad for Matthew Stafford. He's a victim, and he's been a victim for years. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And you know what? It's funny you mentioned the Saints, too. Because like they are, they've kind of become like the Isle of Misfit Toys, right? Like they have Jameis Winston, who's there, who's like, I hope I yeah. can learn not to throw an interception. They got Josh Rosen now, like if just like, oh man, oh no, I'm sorry, Rosen went to That's the Bucks. Yeah, it went to the Bucks. Who like I know you're, I know you're done with Rosen. I really hope he does well. I really, I do really. Hope I do. He does can I can I say something? I I was gonna talk about this in my full show, but I'll talk about it with you here. Um, I, I have a couple thoughts about Josh Rosen. Number one, if people are saying that Dolphins fans are like, we should never have given up a second round pick for Josh Rosen. And I go, well, yeah, it was worth it because you, you wanted to see what he had. If it, if it works out, it's totally worth it. It's worth a gamble. And then now, how cool would it be? I, I've said multiple times, Josh Rosen is a bust. I'll live and die on that hill because he did not fulfill the purpose he was drafted to do. Right? He failed with the Cardinals. He then failed again with Miami. But I will say, if we could see Josh Rosen rejuvenate his career, sit behind Tom Brady for a year or two, then become the guy, whether it's in Tampa Bay or somewhere else, oh, I'd be so happy for him. It'd be awesome. Yeah, it, it's funny. I've like kind of like mentioned this a bunch on the show as of late. You know, I think it's because of like the Jordan Love stuff. 
And like, I think you would appreciate this too. Like obviously coming from you know, a quarterback background of like how many of the Josh Rosens of the league could have been really good if they just sat behind a good quarterback. Yeah. You know, the OG one is David Carr, David Carr from the Houston Texans. If he just had a better offensive line and more of an opportunity to learn, I think he could have been really good, but we never saw that happen because he never really had a fair chance. And, and I think like that's, that's one of those things like Pat Mahomes talked about it when, you know, sitting behind Alex Smith and just learning mm. everything from him. Rogers, obviously behind Brett Favre, you know, you, you look at that and cause again, you put, you know, a quarterback on a bad team, which usually they're going to, if they're, you know, starting yep. right away on a bad football team, that's a really tough order. And I understand you're supposed to be like the face of the franchise, what have you, but you know, you start your career and you're God awful. You're getting hit all the time. You're not winning any football games. Like, how is that supposed to inspire any confidence of just like, yeah, this is going to be good. I would not be surprised in any way, shape or form. Like if that cripples QBs and they're just like, nope, like this is this is how it's going to be. And they don't reach their full potential. Like Aaron Rodgers, we just talked about was not good. His first two years. You imagine he goes to the San Francisco 49ers and replaces Alex Smith. Like there is no guarantee that like he is Aaron Rodgers or even gets the chance to because you might get cut in a couple of years if they're just like, oh, man, this 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 is not working out. You know, it's it's just fascinating to think about. And that's why I think like there has to be a level of patience. And even if you draft a guy, you know, in the top 10, like Tua. Yeah. Ryan Fitzpatrick is your starter until yep. you are 100 percent confident that Tua can come in and win you football games. I was talking to my girlfriend and this is, should be the last thing because I know you got to go. My girlfriend's not a sports fan, not a football fan. It's actually really great because I don't bring work home with me when I come hang out with her. Um, but she. We were talking about how the NFL draft works, and she was like, wait a minute. If you do really, really well in college, you have to go to the worst team in the NFL? And I was like, yeah. She goes, that sucks. And she's like, that's so unfair. She's like, imagine if I did great in my field, and then my reward was to go to a horrible company. I was like, yeah, that's kind of actually a great analogy. I think people that are on Fox Sports say that kind of stuff all the time. Um, and I and then I look at – we were talking about Gardner Minshew. She loves Gardner Minshew just because the he's the mustache, and she, he's from this area where he succeeded. And uh, she's like, man, haven't they gotten rid of a bunch of players? I'm like, yeah. And I was telling her, like, they got rid of all this guy after guy after guy. And if you're Gardner Minshew right now, and I, I imagine the feeling is similar if you're a, a number one pick going to a bad team. And you're like, man, there's nothing around me. My franchise traded away all my weapons. How do you have any sense of hope if you're Gardner Minshew this year? I'm like, I, you can do everything you want. But if you're misma- outmatched every single week, it doesn't matter how good you are. And you're going to look bad because you're losing, even though... Everything around you is awful. I just feel so bad for Gardner Minshew and anybody who has to go into a bad situation. It's terrible. Yeah. You know, and that, and that's the thing, too, of like, you know, the Bengals are obviously like rebuilding. Right. And I think Joe Burrow will do well, you know, because it's like that work ethic of yeah. just like he the guy yep. like he puts in the work. And, you know, you have A.J. Green, you have T. Higgins. The offensive line is still bad. The defensive line is yeah. still not put together like that is still an incomplete football team. Will they be better? Sure. But I mean, like. What's better? How many games did they win last year? So like, that's, that's what I'm talking about of, you know, in, in that kind of sense, if there's like no pressure for Joe Burrow, like, no, there's not a single Bengals fan on this planet that should be like, yeah, we're going to go that. Like I'm, we, I'm expecting to go to the playoffs this year. You should be thrilled to win six games. Like you should be thrilled beyond excited. And I think like, that's kind of just the mindset you have to have. And I feel like I'm hoping with the Jaguars, you know, Gardner Minshew is walking into this, like, Hey, you know what? There's zero expectations for this. So let, like, let's just go out there and have fun. I'm getting paid to play football. Let's enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. That's all that's you can it. do. Tom, 
I love you so much. I know you got to go. You got an interview in 10 minutes. I love you so much. Thanks for being on. You're awesome. I cannot wait to talk about week one. We'll saw the Vikings play the Packers. Are you kidding me, Tom? We'll talk about that next Wednesday. It'll be a blast. I love you so much. Thank you for your time and uh, have a great day. You too, buddy. I'll see you soon. Take care. Now, I want to end today's episode with three topics. I've buried them at the end intentionally. That way they're easy to skip. So if someone gets to this episode late, like if they're here after the Chiefs and Texans game has already happened, or maybe you don't like Formula One, no problem. It's easy to skip. If you like that stuff, enjoy it. I talk about Formula One a lot. If you love Formula One, cool conversation. If we're here before the Texans and Chiefs game has happened, you can listen to my prediction. That'll be fun as well. So tonight the NFL season begins. And I cannot tell you how happy I am to say that. Literally, as I look outside, uh, it feels like an apocalypse. I live in Portland, Oregon, well, the Portland, Oregon area. And there's smoke everywhere. There's wind like crazy, fires everywhere. And I just need a game like tonight. I need a game to both distract me a little bit and honestly to comfort me. I need something good in my life. Tonight, I have the Kansas City Chiefs. Getting a very clear, very decisive win over the Houston Texans. And basically, it boils down to the fact that, let's be honest, this game is a mismatch. I have no idea how anybody stops Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs offense. But I know this. The Houston Texans defense is not the team to figure out that formula. The guy I expect to have a huge day is Chiefs rookie running back Clyde Edwards Hilaire. He's not necessarily going to do it in the running game, although maybe he runs for like 200 yards and kills them. But I believe he's going to have a massive day and catch a lot of passes out of the backfield. He's going to eat the Texans defense alive. And the reason for that is because the Texans play a lot of man coverage. And that means he's going to have a linebacker guarding him in man-to-man coverage all day. And if you ask me, a linebacker guiding, guarding Clyde Edwards Hilaire, that's a mismatch. So Kansas City, they're, they're really a more complete team. Uh, Deshaun Watson is going to be fun to watch. He's going to put up some points. He always does. I really love Deshaun Watson. But Patrick Mahomes is going to score more. Yes, because he's amazing, but also because, quite frankly, I've got zero faith in the Texans' defense, and especially not their secondary. I believe the Chiefs are going to win big tonight, despite the fact that Houston is trying to get revenge for their playoff loss Last year, again, I have the Kansas City Chiefs winning by a lot tonight over the Houston Texans because, in fact, in my opinion, this is a mismatch. However, I will say if I'm wrong, do, do, like, if I'm on my couch and it ends 42-43 to 43 and it's a great game, I'm not going to be disappointed. That sounds incredible. I'm hoping for a really fun, really incredible, really close game. I'm just not confident that we're going to get that tonight. Okay, uh, this topic is late. This topic is much later than I would have liked. But I have completely been overwhelmed with NFL predictions. It was something I needed to focus on, let's be honest. Uh, In the scheme of things, the NFL is what really uh, helps me make money and what people want to hear from me. So I really couldn't find time to prioritize a small F1 topic that's not going to get a lot of views and not going to get a lot of interest on the podcast. Uh, But please know that for the rest of the year, from here on out, I'm going to be recording a podcast every single Monday, and that's going to make F1 race reviews happen way, way quicker. So take comfort in that. I love F1, man. I I just, I'm passionate about it. I follow it, and I talk about it because I'm passionate and enjoying 
following F1. It's one of my favorite sports. It's really like football and then F1. I love F1. And so I want to talk today about the Italian Grand Prix. What a crazy race. It was such a blast to watch what happened on Sunday. I have never said this before. One of my favorite things about Formula One is hearing the words, it's lights out and away we go. It's in that British accent that I certainly cannot do. Um, nothing fires me up quite like hearing lights out and away we go. Um, you know, that and the music of F1, the music of F1. I'll talk about that at the end of this, uh, this topic, man. Oh, my gosh. Um, uh, we'll talk about the music. It's great. Uh, but what was so cool about the Italian Grand Prix at Monza is that we got that moment not once. But twice we heard the words, it's lights out and away we go. And I just deep in my childlike heart, I just get so filled with joy when I hear that. And, you know, we had we got that uh, that red flag and that stopped the race for a little while. We had to do a whole restart. So getting to hear that twice for me was one of the highlights of that race, even though we'll talk about all the storylines that were crazy and fun. I wanted to share that that moment was so cool now. Of course, the reason why the race was red flagged was because Charles Leclerc ran into a tire barrier, and that had to be repaired. So the race was stopped for safety reasons so that they could repair the tire barrier. So it was there. If anybody else went into the runoff at that point. Um, and before we get into the craziest, craziness with Lewis Hamilton and what happened with the restart and uh, all the other things going on for him, we need to talk about Ferrari. Because, oh my gosh, what an absolutely terrible season that Ferrari is having uh, at the Italian Grand Prix their home race literally Sebastian Vettel's brakes failed which is so embarrassing for an F1 team and Charles Leclerc lost the back end and crashed they had two DNFs in their home circuit and it's just wild to me they're lucky no fans were at Monza this, this past weekend to see what an embarrassing performance Ferrari had and it was really wild as I was watching you know Carlos Sainz coming down the back stretch right behind Pierre Gasly as I'm watching Carlos Sainz get second place on Sunday in his McLaren by the way I I couldn't help but feel bad for Carlos Sainz because by leaving McLaren and going to Ferrari he's absolutely downgrading next year it's really bizarre and it's really sad I mean I felt like oh dude Carlos you're going to a bad team man hate to break it to you you poor soul Ferrari has been awful and even weirder, they, they refused to fire Mattia Bonozzo. They've talked about, you know, Ferrari, the, the owner, I guess. Somebody gave a quote, uh, one of the executives at Ferrari saying, we're going to keep Mattia Bonozzo. We want to have uh, continuity. We're tired of people getting fired so quickly. And I get the, uh, the, the intention there, right? You, wanna, you don't want to be so quick to pull the trigger and fire people. But Mattia Bonozzo has been awful, man. I, he just, the, the organization has been really, really terrible, Ferrari. I don't know how you keep the guy, given what's going on. Uh, and Ferrari, they've just been miserable and abysmal all year in Formula One. Now, we got to talk about Lewis Hamilton. Uh, Kevin Magnussen is where it starts. He had an engine problem. Kevin Magnussen pulled off to the side of the track, kind of right in front of pit lane. Pretty peacefully, I might add. I mean, he just kind of pulls off to the side, apparently having engine problem. He retires for the race, and he walks off, literally. And so, to get the car back into the garage, the race marshals decided that they were going to simply roll the car back into pit lane because they were so close. And as a result of that decision, pit lane was closed. And there was also a safety car. And it's helpful to get a pit stop during a safety car because it can save you a lot of time. So anytime you see a safety car, racers in F1 go, oh, we got to get a pit stop and you know try to save a little bit of time here. And unfortunately, though, 
pit lane was closed because they were trying to get a car in. And having cars around, marshals walking around is a dangerous act. And Lewis Hamilton, not knowing what was going on, went in business as usual and got a pit stop. Just what he would normally do during a, uh, a yellow flag, during a safety car. And I just, I, there were two really important red lights. You know, Lewis Hamilton going around the corner right before going into the pit lane. There were two lights he drove right by that were red. And if you know what you're looking for, pretty clearly that means the pit lane is closed. But having the pit lane be closed is very, very rare. And I totally understand how Lewis Hamilton made this mistake. He didn't see the lights partly because he's cornering and focused on the corner, probably feeling a bunch of G-forces. And again, the pit lane is literally never closed. I mean, I'm sure that dealing with this is a situation Lewis Hamilton has literally never dealt with in his entire Formula One career. And so the one thing about all this that's hard to excuse, though, is that the race engineer for Mercedes literally would have gotten a notification on his screen telling him that pit lane was closed. I have to wonder why that guy didn't speak up and say, hey, by the way, Lewis, don't go into pit lane. It's literally closed. You can't do it. I don't know why that didn't happen. Uh, But either way, uh, it seemed like a genuine, honest mistake from Lewis Hamilton. However, he had to get punished. And here's why. The only people who came in and got a pit stop were Lewis Hamilton and Antonio Giovinazzi. Because everybody else, the McLarens behind Lewis Hamilton, they knew, hey, we don't go into pit lane. It's closed. Everyone else knew not to go in. And while, again, I think Lewis Hamilton, it was an honest mistake. The minute Lewis Hamilton got new tires, the damage was done. That's an unfair advantage. You can't have that. Basically, he got a free pit stop when nobody else was allowed to get one. You have to punish that kind of action. And yeah, well, it's all a technicality and it's all an accident and it's an unfortunate thing to happen. You can't allow anybody, let alone Lewis Hamilton, to get an unfair competitive advantage in a race. So Lewis Hamilton had to take a 10-second stop and go penalty the really long-term result of that was he lost about 30 seconds of time during the race. And again, that's the right punishment here. The penalty took Lewis Hamilton from first place, put him all the way back in 17th place, last place in that race. Uh, and as a result, Pierre Gasly got the win. Carlos Sainz took second, and Lance Stroll took third. And I want to break it down here. There's a lot of stuff going on here. But number one, all this drama, the red flag, the penalty, the storylines, my girlfriend was sitting next to me. And my girlfriend doesn't care about sports. I kind of like that about her that she, I don't, she, there's no pressure for me to tell my girlfriend about sports because she doesn't know. And when I'm with her, it's my break from sports. And yet this, this girl, Liz, my girlfriend who couldn't care less about sports was sitting on the couch watching her just, I'm watching her just enjoy Formula One. I've never seen her light up the way she did. She was into it. She was yelling at the TV. It was a good race. And you know, it's a good race because my girlfriend who's not a sports fan was engaged in an F1 race. She literally said it was like an action movie. And it was so funny. She looks at, she loves the Racing Point yellow or the pink Mercedes. She called it the Pepto-Bismol pink car. And she literally called it, uh, she called Lewis, uh, what is it, Sergio Perez. She called Sergio Perez's car the Pepto-Perez car. I was like, it's just funny and a good time. And I wanted to share that because I just enjoyed, it was just a fun race because of the weird craziness going on. And I think it's sad for me though that it takes a bunch of craziness and having Lewis Hamilton get penalized really badly in order for an F1 race to be this fun. I mean, this is the best race of the year. The two best races of the year that I can remember are the race where Lewis Hamilton's tires popped at the end 
and then where Lewis Hamilton gets penalized and can't win. And I don't like that that's the reality of Formula One, but it is actually the reality is those were the best races of the year. They were so interesting and fun. Now, Max Verstappen's Red Bull had an engine problem, so he did not finish as well. And it's kind of crazy. It's the first time in literally 146 races that Red Bull, Mercedes, or Ferrari did not win the race. The last non-Red Bull, Mercedes, or Ferrari car to win a race was Jensen Button driving a McLaren in Australia in the year 2013. It's been seven years since a team other than Red Bull, Ferrari, or Mercedes won an F1 race. That's crazy to me. Now, the last lap was incredible. Pierre Gasly was in P1 with Carlos Sainz right behind him in P2. And for me, the obvious best story of the day was Pierre Gasly winning an F1 race, driving an Alpha Tauri. There was so much vindication in that moment. When he won, and he's just sitting on the podium looking over Monza's track, I, I just, my heart left. I was so happy for Pierre Gasly. Because if you don't understand, Red Bull has two teams. They have Red Bull has their their main Red Bull team. Then they also want a secondary team. It's, just, it's kind of their junior team, Alpha Tauri. And last year, in the middle of the year, mid-season, Red Bull decided to demote Pierre Gasly from the main Red Bull team down to Alpha Tauri. And, you know, they were called Toro Rosso previously. So he was publicly embarrassed and publicly shamed by Red Bull. And on Sunday, what's so cool is that Pierre Gasly beat the main Red Bull car and he beat Alex Albin, the guy who replaced him. How cool is that? It's so good for Pierre Gasly. I just look at that and go, man, they can suck it. Suck it, Red Bull. I just was I, oh, I'm so happy for him because if, you if, you if you've ever had a crazy vindicating moment, I've had that before. It feels so good to win and look at the other side and go, what's up? I'm here. That's the coolest moment. Now, two things are really funny in all this to me. Number one is that last year, everybody was criticizing Pierre Gasly, saying that he couldn't handle the pressure. And I, I actually tend to agree. I think last year, we saw pretty clearly, Pierre Gasly couldn't handle the pressure of the position he was in. Behind Max Verstappen, needing to do really well and elevate that Red Bull team. But on Sunday, that final lap, Carlos Sainz was right on his tail. And if Pierre Gasly makes any mistake in that final lap, Carlos Sainz makes a move and wins that race. Pierre Gasly, however, handled that pressure, that moment, incredibly well. Carlos Sainz right on his tail. He's got to be perfect. A lot of pressure in that moment. And what did Pierre Gasly do? He brought it home. He was perfect. I find that so cool. I think the last two years, the struggle that Pierre Gasly's been through. All that stuff has made him better. It's made him stronger. And that, I mean, that's one of the things I really, really love about sports is that you know, Pierre Gasly's become incredibly resilient. And it wasn't that he wouldn't have won, but I, I just I think that, man, this, all this stuff going on has made him a better driver and made him a better person, and it's so cool to me. If he wasn't incredibly resilient, here's what I was trying to say, I guess, is if Pierre Gasly wasn't incredibly resilient, we wouldn't have seen him win on Sunday. The fact that he's been through all this stuff, the fact that he can now handle the pressure, iron sharpens iron. He's been molded by the pain and the struggle he's been through. That, to me, 
Oh, that's the human story. I love that. Now, the second thing that I find really funny is this, is that one of Red Bull's biggest problems right now is that their number two driver, Alex Albin, simply isn't performing well enough. And the fact that he's actually getting outperformed by Pierre Gasly, not just this race, but multiple races previously, the guy he replaced, ooh, that's a big statement. That's a big storyline. You know, this is also very important, though. I want to say this because you use hindsight 2020 is a thing people say all the time. What that means is, and now that I know 2020 is kind of a crappy year, maybe we should change that to hindsight 2015 or something. I have no idea. (laughs) That's a joke, a bad joke. Um, the, the reality to me is that if, if Red Bull had not demoted Pierre Gasly, maybe he'd be awesome. You know, maybe if he'd stayed at Red Bull, that main team all year, maybe he would be incredible this year. But I actually, I, I think the, the truth is that the struggle he went through, getting demoted by Red Bull, being publicly embarrassed, all that stuff he went through, that setback was what he needed, I think, to gain a bit of an edge mentally and emotionally, where weirdly enough, the pain he went through of getting demoted actually made him even better. Two weeks ago, two weeks ago, Pierre Gasly a driver of the week. This week he wins. And I'm so happy for him. But I just want to say, I, I think he needed to get demoted. I think he wouldn't be the racer he is today if he hadn't been demoted last year, which is a weird way, roundabout way of saying, like, I think you can't say, well, they should have never demoted him. Because if they hadn't demoted him, he wouldn't be doing as well as he is now. The final thing I want to say about this weekend, it was such a great time uh, this really stood out to me this past weekend as I was watching F1. I love the Formula One music. I can't be the only person out there. I, I can't be the only person to say this, man. Like, you have the drums, like, dicka dicka da, dicka da, 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 da. Okay, first of all, I can't believe I just did that. I didn't, I, that wasn't planned to go into this weird long. Is it cringy? I'm gonna leave it in. I don't care. It's fun, but you know, <laughs> I can't believe it. In that. But you know that when you hear that music, you're like da 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 da. For me, that moment watching Formula One is just like the coolest. Oh my gosh, it's so much fun. I I love it. Where I do it in the car. I can't be the only person who listens to the Formula One theme music in the car. Uh, you go to YouTube. You type in F1 theme music. They got literally like the live orchestra. And it is dangerous. You put on that while you're driving your car. If you wear, like, gloves, it's even cooler. Oh, my God. Again, dangerous, but so much fun. I go way too fast, and I have a great time doing it. I I can't be alone. I can't be the only. Tell me I'm not the only person in the entire world who sometimes in my car turns on the F1 theme music and just has a good old zoom in time. I I, I just, for me, that music, when when I hear lights out and away we go, and then the F1 music kicks in, like, da, 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 da. Dude, it's the coolest. For, like, my, my skin, like, my hair raises on my arms. I'm just like, my, what is it called? Goosebumps, I guess? I just get so excited. I love that moment. Um, and to me, I just, I love F1, man. F1, Formula One is such a cool sport that I know my Americans here. I live in, I live in America, obviously, and I, nobody here cares about it. And it's like, they're missing so much. It's like, guys. Get up at 6 in the morning, watch the race, pay attention. F1, such a cool sport, so many good things going for them. And it's only going to get better as years go on and as F1 makes slight little changes like a budget cap and all this stuff. I just am so in love with Formula 1. I love where they're headed, um, and it's just a sport I am so 
so into and a very like I'm just a fan and it's just fun to be a fan of a sport and enjoy watching it week to week. I want to end with this. There are three big stories right now in F1 and I want to talk about all of them at once instead of trying to make three different topics and whatever. Uh, Number one is that Williams has been sold. So the Williams F1 team was sold to an American investment firm. I'm going to say I'm going to try to get it right. Doralton Capital. Uh, And I have a lot to say about this. Number one is that Claire Williams has resigned. Uh, Her last race was in Italy at Monza. Uh, Claire's dad, if you don't know, Sir Frank Williams is the founder of the Williams F1 team. He's 78 years old. He doesn't seem to be doing very well every time I see him in interviews or just around. I'm like, ooh, Frank Williams. And I got to say, I have always felt bad for Claire Williams. I mean, she's always had this tremendous pressure to try and live up to the family name and the family legacy and that's crazy to me like she was always I, I gotta say unfortunately watching Claire Williams it just has never seemed like running an F1 team is what she is suited for she's never seemed like a person that should be running an F1 team to me and she kept it all together trying to live up to that family legacy and to me that's such a sad sad story it's like oh Claire like ugh. I've just always felt sad for her. And what's crazy to me, it's not just like she's running an F1 team. It's that this legacy she's had to live up to, the statistics and the numbers you hear about Formula One, Williams F1 team, is really just wild. And, you know, they've, they've raced in 740 races. Some of those were with Claire Williams. Um, she's been the deputy team principal since 2013. But Williams has never won a race under Claire as the deputy team principal uh, since she's had that title. And in the time before Claire, they had 114 victories, 128 pole positions, and 16 world championships. Not one, not two, 16 world championships. She took over that. And the, the tremendous amount of pressure that comes along with doing that, I am sure it has felt impossible her whole life to try to live up to that. I just I can't imagine trying to be Claire Williams and do the just even trying to take on the burden she's taken on. It's terrible. So she cashed out. Um, and, and I really hope that Claire Williams walked away with a good chunk of change. I would love to see her get rich and walk away. Um, and it's really weird for me. I, I can't be the only person who feels this way as I look at who bought Williams F1. They were bought by an investment firm. And I, I guess somebody looks at the F1 Williams team and says, well, we can make money doing that. And maybe what they'll do, what I would do with Williams is I would, and if I was them, maybe, is they sell some merchandise, they raise the value of the company a little bit. Maybe they flip the company and just resell Williams again to make a little bit of, like, make some, a buck off it. I don't know. Maybe they think, you know, Dorlitson, is that what they're called? Dorlitson Investments. Maybe they think they can bring in advertisers. Um, Everyone says they're going to keep Williams alive. People say, like, like Claire Williams is like, well, we're doing this because they're going to keep Williams going and keep the team going. And I got to be very, very honest. And I'm an idiot, so maybe I'm wrong. But I hear that an investment firm bought the Williams F1 team. And I just look at like, okay, what's going on here? And I just, what if they realize they can't make any money? I mean, my impression of F1 is that Formula One has always seemed like a gigantic money pit. You lose a ton of money running and operating an F1 team. And so I, I fear that this investment firm might end up shutting down Williams, which is a – no one's talking about this. Everyone's afraid to talk about all this stuff. But I just 
it's weird to me that an investment firm bought F1 because usually or bought Williams F1 because usually you see like an F1 team, Mercedes has an F1 team, and yeah, it costs them hundreds of millions of dollars a year, but they can justify it as well. We're advertising our company. Our Mercedes F1 team is advertising how great Mercedes cars is, so the costs are justified. If you're an investment firm, how do you justify losing hundreds of millions of dollars running a F1 team? I, unless you have advert, they must have some plan I don't know about because otherwise I look at it and go, it doesn't add up here. I don't understand what's going on. Either way, I wish the best for the Williams family. Um, and I just, again, I hope that Claire Williams got a ton of money and cashed out and could live the rest of her life in a beach town or whatever the heck she wants. Whatever whatever Claire Williams wants for her life, I hope she gets to have that. Uh, and I hope the burden of the family business doesn't loom over her any longer. Now, in more news, uh, a story broke. It started when Sergio Perez announced that he was not going to be brought back to the Racing Point F1 team. And by the way, to be clear, Racing Point is about to change their and rebrand their name to Aston Martin. That's not new information. That's just I want to make it clear in this story. Um, So Sergio Perez is not going to be racing for Racing Point or next year, Aston Martin next year. And the minute I heard Sergio Perez was out, I immediately thought, well, okay. Sebastian Vettel is going to be the new driver for Aston Martin slash Racing Point this year. As soon as this year ends, the next guy is Sebastian Vettel. And we didn't have to wait very long to find out. Bam! Very quickly it was made official. Oh, yeah. Sebastian Vettel is the new driver for next year and beyond. He's the new driver at Aston Martin. Um, And so, look, Haas and... Alfa Romeo have not confirmed their driver lineups for next year, so it's very possible. I could see Sergio Perez still getting a drive and replacing Antonio Giovinazzi or Roman Grosjean. Uh, that'd be very cool for me. I like Sergio Perez is not a terrible driver. He's just not, like, the best. Uh, but he certainly should have a... He's better than Giovinazzi or Grosjean. Uh, but for Vettel, for Sebastian Vettel, I'm so, so happy for the dude. Uh, this year at Ferrari in 2020... You think Ferrari's been bad? <laughs> it's it's been horrible for poor Sebastian Vettel. Like his life's good; he's getting paid a ton of money to drive an F1 car. Um, but the dude keeps getting screwed over by his team. First, he had Charles Leclerc literally drive into him, try to go three wide, which is incredibly stupid. Uh, the car is awful. Ferrari keeps using really bad strategies with Sebastian Vettel. He's a huge star. Sebastian Vettel is a four-time world champion in F1. And what I think really is happening here is that Seb is a guy that advertisers can get behind. And he's a great fit. Aston Martin and Sebastian Vettel, they complement each other. It's so cool to me. I'm rooting for Seb, and I want to see him do well. But he gets a good drive with a a solid team that's growing. And Aston Martin gets a driver they can market. And that, honestly, if you give the right support to Sebastian Vettel, I don't see any reason to believe he could not be a really, really phenomenal driver once again like he used to be with Red Bull before Ferrari just fell off a cliff. Now, story number three, Renault Racing is rebranding to Alpine F1. Uh, They got new colors, too. They're going to be red, white, and blue to represent the French national colors. Uh, If you don't know, Alpine is a brand of sports cars that Renault, the car company, owns. Renault is a huge, massive car manufacturer in France. And so Renault wants to use their F1 team to market this brand 
Alpine, their their new, their relatively newer sports car brand. It's rejuvenated and back. And the long the, the point of this is that Alpine's a racing car brand for sports cars. They want to use their F1 brand to promote that. Look, it makes total sense to me. Uh, you also got to realize it's not only a new marketing angle geared towards speed and racing, but it's also about timing. This is incredibly good timing to rebrand your F1 team. Renault has not been great recently. They got yellow and black colors, and there's just there's a lot of reasons to go, ah, Renault's okay. But F1 is about to change a lot because F1 is about to institute a budget cap, which is supposed to bring the field together and make everything more competitive, which is going to mean that teams like Renault and Aston Martin will have a better opportunity than ever before to compete at a high level. And that's why all these teams, Aston Martin, you know, Racing Point becoming Aston Martin, that's why teams are rebranding. That's why Renault's becoming Alpine, because it gives them a fresh start, a new, a, a clean slate, saying, guys, we want to... We want to just show the world we're a new team with a different approach and we can be better than we were in the past. Forget that old name that wasn't successful. We're Alpine now. We're awesome. We're winning. We're competing. We're in the mix. That's what I think is going on behind the scenes with Renault. Guys, I've said a lot here. I talked about Claire Williams. I talked about Sebastian Vettel, Sergio Perez, now Alpine Racing. I want to hear what you guys think about this stuff. I love F1. It's one of my favorite things. It's fun. Formula One's amazing. And I want to hear your thoughts. Please feel free. Write into me on Instagram or wherever you want to do it. Um, just not even for the show, for content. I just like talking about F1, and I have very few people I can talk to in my life that care about F1 along with me. So please, if you have anything to say to me, just find me on Instagram. We'll have a conversation. I love F1, um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts because I just, for me personally, talking about F1 feeds my soul. It's so much fun. I love it. It's a blast. And I, I think you guys, if you're listening to this, you certainly like F1, and you can relate to that as well. Guys, that is all I have. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I hope you have a great day. Uh, I'm just going to uh, – look, I'm going to hang up, end the podcast, and get this content out to the world. Hope you have a great day. But I'm bum. Bam. We are done.